0: Should I open up I- IBS, OBS? Because I know OBS can also record.
1: IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're actually talking about uh, the Lady
2: Killers today. Ah, nice. Good good to know. Can you can you do a good Tom Hanks from Lady Killers?
0: I am concerned. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Hello and welcome to Exiting Through the Twenty Tens, a podcast where we reflect and dissect the movies of the past decade. I'm Jack Draper, and with me, who has just come from the moon, uh, it's Tyler Harford. So yeah, Clay's not going to be joining us uh, for a little bit. Actually, we uh, ex- we're experiencing some burnout on his end. Work's gotten a little tough lately, and we just feel with scheduling issues and time zone uh, time zone differences uh, that he's just gonna he's he's going to be back, but. Uh, for now, uh, Tyler, uh, from our Undefeated episode in the Oscar Running Docs miniseries, going um, to be filling in for a little while. What yeah. uh, What's happening? Yeah.
1: Thank you Excited for that you. intro. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I was honored to get the invite, of course, uh, and hope uh, Clay will be back soon. Oh, yeah. He has b- big shoes to fill. I know he said he will be back, so it's... Uh, temporary, we don't know how long, but uh, you know, I'll hang in there and hopefully we'll talk about stuff uh, maybe more prescient
2: than undefeated. <laughs> I I do find it funny that, you know, we're like pretty good friends, but I, you're not like in a major episode, you're not like in one of the most iconic um, you know, artifacts of the decade, you're just in this little doc about it. High school football team and it's like where, where did this guest come from but um yeah 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 it's going to be good. It's, well listen like the streets easier. are
1: saying that we need to have a real reappraisal of that episode. Um <laughs> i like, talking Michael yeah. Mann's Miami Vice like we got to bring it back.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh we just we just passed the 10 uh, year anniversary this year and I think we sang its praises enough like as as much as we could like we talked enough uh, we found enough to talk about that it's like, okay, well, this is, this isn't nothing.
1: Right. No, yeah. it was a good episode.
2: So. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, it was interesting, like the middle three of the docs, for me, those are like the, of, uh, OJ Made in America, Citizen Four, and Amy, those are the defining works in the decade. And like, or, or like for me, like personally, I love those. And, uh, for anything else we covered in that series, it's like, ugh, well, it's not the middle three, but- Right. Just by, just by default. Yeah. Um, yeah, with us today we have Brett DeWise, um good friend of ours. What's uh what's happening?
0: When I said to the moon, I meant to the moon. Yes. Uh, hello everybody. I am uh, Brett Deviz. I am a uh, showrunner for Bretro Culture, a uh, not a rival podcast, but another podcast that happens to talk about movies on occasion. Uh, this is the first time I have ever talked to Jack, ever, about movies, ever, <laughs> alongside Tyler, and, uh, yeah, we're here to, to, go to school a little bit and, uh, learn about this thing called classism, so I hear There's I a class, class
2: and there's a chalkboard behind you, and you have, like, a suit on, and you're ready to stand up and, like, give us a lecture.
0: I literally did just come from work, <laughs> so I did just tear off my dress shirt and, uh, just put on this nice, uh orange Rockford blazer to represent my high school <laughs> roots, I suppose. Uh, yeah,
2: yeah, you're a real Robbie Williams from Dead Poets. You're going to, yeah. like, give us a lesson, but be chill about it.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, I, I cannot I cannot promise that I will not get slightly passionate about mm-hmm. certain things that uh, go down in this episode. <laughs> I'm not... Uh, we'll, we'll get to it, but there are, there are a lot of emotions to parse through when it comes to, uh, especially... Uh, Japanese works of animation which are so near and dear to my heart but yeah I'm really excited I'm glad we we finally got this slotted in mm-hmm. it just before Absolutely. my
2: birthday too so it's hey, gonna birthday be birthday pod yeah, yeah I mean, it'll come really out really just birthday.
0: after my birthday I'm like, oh hell
1: yeah
2: I did it I think this might be the closest uh birthday pod that we've had from my knowledge the other one is when Brian Rowan was on for enemy we literally had that on his birthday oh, that's cool um and also another core memory about that one is that uh, it was the day that the Dent, the Tenant trailer came out, and we all watched it together. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, look at this! Um, it's like
1: you guys watched <laughs> it on the pod. <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, well, like, it, oh, it was it was right. Oh, it was, it was right before we, we like started. Like that time but, that yeah.
0: they had like a a post uh, post show stinger of them watching the the Book of Henry trailer on cast. <laughs> and it's like, oh god,
2: why? <laughs> um, yes, yes, or um. I think it was the best of the decade, uh, blankies on blank check, Patreon. It was when the F nine trailer came out and Griffin's Griffin Newman stopped everything. And he's like, hang on, I need to just. Um, yeah. So this, since this is the first time that we're all meeting each other, um, why don't you tell us a little bit of your history into getting into movies? And if there was anything that comes to mind that started your love of film?
0: You know, it's incredibly appropriate. And by the way, this move. is the
2: first time that you're telling the story.
0: Yes, it is. Uh you we have we have never ever met no. before. Do I've I, never asked you that question. I have never once at all been a member of the Cinephile Party. Uh I will name names if if necessary to keep my job. But uh
2: You said it like it's the Communist Party. Like, yeah, I was about about to know. Say, it's, it's a, a
0: communist system now. I, I know my my history. Are we competing family. with
2: audiophile fi- or uh, audiophile party?
0: <laughs> audiophile party, the francophile party. There's a lot of there's a lot of filias out there. If, you, if we want to go into the uh, TV mature route, there might be a necrophilia society. Who the hell knows? God forbid. Um, but uh, focusing a little bit, uh, to turning that camera right back around to the stage at hand, it is actually incredibly appropriate what we are here to talk about today because. Uh, ever since I was a kid, my parents have used movies and television to distract me because I was a, uh, very hyper, uh, ADHD, uh, uh focus on the A and the H child. So, uh, they used, like, media in general to just pacify me, sit me in front of a television, put in, like, the rescuers down under on VHS, and that'll say, settle me down for about, like, 100 minutes. They can have some peace and quiet and do some bills. Now... It wasn't until I believe it was seventh grade, I, which would have been 2007, I want to say. Uh, my, my parents had, had left me alone at home and I was using the family desktop to do what I always do best, uh, procrastinate from my schoolwork and watch YouTube. Now, uh, back in these days, YouTube still had that 10 minute video limit, but I had <laughs> randomly heard some some things through the grapevine of school about movies that, oh, this this kid is really into those uh, those this kid still watches cartoons. Get a load of this guy. And uh, I, but I lashed onto some of that conversation and I chose that night to have myself a ten minute a ap- pe ten minute per clip double feature of Studio Ghibli's Princess Mononoke and Spirited Away, back to back in ten minute segments. And Princess Mononoke especially is the film that basically tilted my head back and like unlocked like the the next tier of my of my intelligent consciousness saying oh wow these things can really be artful and was the first time i thought of anything besides like those classes i took as art because at that time i was only focused on oh i have to go to art class today and focus on make uh make some pottery in the kiln and take it home make sure my parents think it's uh nice and put it on the shelf or whatever
2: because art class weren't wasn't doing the same things that miyazaki was doing it's like completely different no, uh, uh, the, uh,
0: there's a sp- specifically the opening of Princess Mononoke where I did not know him at the time, but the dulcet tones of Keith David as the narration kick in and it's talking about, like, years ago, the land was still covered in forests, for these were the times of gods and demons. And it was like, ooh, where's this gonna go? And uh, f- little old me, uh, I believe I was tw- Twelve years old at the time, uh, sneaking in some PG thirteen animation into my eye socket. I was like, "Yeah, this is gonna be great." And that movie gets kind of brutal at times. I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> it, mm. it pushed my boundaries. And uh, it's a strong PG thirteen. Oh. Yeah. It just it's strong. Just considering Ghibli as a whole, usually sticks very close to that GPG center for the most time. They were, I ideally thought of as a Japanese counterpart to Disney for the most part because mm-hmm. they were most of the time so wholesome, with the certain exceptions. Uh, and was also,
2: wasn't about. it wasn't it pretty staggering for its runtime? The, the longest. Uh,
0: <laughs> so I guess we're gonna start in the animation history early. Uh, there is a notorious. Uh, uh, apocryphal event taken note of in the annals of animation history, that when the Princess Mononoke initially came over, it was Miramax handling the distribution of it. And it it, it has been said for years that, oh no, Miyazaki did this, but actually uh, so Harvey, uh, bad, bad old Harvey, that man who will rot for eternity, rightly, uh, Harvey Weinstein, he basically let loose that, oh, we're probably going to have to cut it to make it more marketable. And for and every every other source that up until like a couple years ago, the source was always, oh, Miyazaki sent him a katana, but actually no, that is incorrect. It was Toshio Suzuki, the producer at Ghibli, who sent Harvey Weinstein a genuine katana with a single note attached that simply said, no cuts. And <laughs> that hilarious. is... And that was a good choice because I think Princess Mononoke i don't know what the hell you would cut because that entire work needs every single angle every single little uh different faction at work needs to be presented in that length it is given otherwise you lose so much context and nuance of what these people are because put someone okay in my opinion has an antagonist but she is not a bad person uh, Iboshi Gozen in Princess in, in Mononoke is a fascinating character because while she is doing horrific things to the environment but it's all for the sake of these outcasts that she has acquired. She cares for lepers, She cares for prostitutes who have been cast out of, of proper cities and proper society and she takes care of these people and gives them a new home, a, a new place to live. And that's what I find so endearing about Ghibli as a whole is that they take things that typically in western portrayals are very black and white that's like oh well uh, you destroy, you uh, trampled over a tree to make uh, room for a new recreation center that's bad you're a bad man white businessman who drives a ferrari and we're gonna put on a show to stop you your nonsense from destroying the environment that's typically what we see over here in the west meanwhile over in the east there it, there's just a lot more nuance at play, mostly because of the difference, differences in culture and the differences and in, in just the way the society functions. Even if Japan is as equally hyper-capitalistic as the United States is in terms of their the way their businesses and their media is built from the ground up. Mm. but yeah Princess Mononoke was my entry point and from then on I basically had a thumbtack in the the, the note card that said Ghibli watch this like mm. whenever I came across that ever I would take note Miyazaki also but event, it, took, I, it took me way too long to actually venture into the works of Takahata Hanabayoshi and uh, uh, forgive me the lesser Miyazaki's work at uh, Ghibli <laughs>
2: And now, when you say it's 2008, that's also the release of Ponyo. When you discovered Spirited Away and Mononoke, did you realize, like, oh, there's one on the horizon this year? Uh, yes. I don't know if that... I think that came here in 2010.
3: Uh, uh...
0: 2009 or 2010, because the curse of Japanese animation in the West is that unless nowadays you have a direct feed via a licensor, uh, okay. there are way too many things. Well, hell, we're film fans. We know that there are several films that we hear about at festivals that if they don't have like an instantaneous like international backer, God knows when the hell you're going to see that. I mean, it took almost two years for Shin Godzilla to get mm. a proper home media release over here. It's it came to theaters. I think. Yeah. yeah, it was 2016. I think it was like late 2017 or or mid 2018 when that thing finally got a damn media release. Because I was anxiously awaiting where the hell is it? Where the hell is it? I want this movie to own, goddamn it! And that's another tangential accoutrement to Japanese animation because that movie was directed by Hideaki Anno, who is the the backer and most notorious for his Evangelion franchise, as well as heading Studio Gynax, which is an equally uh, infamous animation studio. I should point out, and uh, Ghibli is infamous for its just sheer depth of quality. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Gynax makes choices. I will say, and that. Uh, show off more boldly than many others of its compatriots,
3: mm-hmm.
0: but yeah, I've I've always been a sucker for Japanese animation ever since my. Uh, one of the things my my grandmother, God bless bless her uh, soul, would uh, buy me was she would go to random stores like I don't know like good housekeeping apparently had a video, like sub, let where they, they would put out movies, they would like license random shit and put it on VHS for oh family family home entertainment stuff. And I've seen so many random OVAs and one-shot films that were just released over here with somewhat questionable dubs, for the most part, but I was able to still imbibe all this Japanese animation that only later I would discover was, oh, this is actually an authentic uh, this is technically anime, and I can log this on my anime list. And uh, say, yeah, I've seen totoy from 1996. 92, it's like, God, there's so much weird shit that mm. I have, I can profess to have seen because of my affection for the the Japanese animation, Japanimation, as I call it. I don't...
2: And when you say one-shots, is that similar to those short films that Marvel used to have at, at the end of, uh, like, early phase one MCU movies, or is that something different?
0: V- very similar. Uh, in, in terms of Japanese animation, uh, there are several, It's it's sort of similar to... Anime and manga are so closely interconnected because they have such uh, similar distribution models. How, like, you have your serials, your overarching series, like you have your One Pieces, your your Pokemons, your Naruto's, who have like big overarching stories that have to continue and keep going. Meanwhile, if you're like a new, either a new, like a new talent who is yet unproved, or perhaps just someone who has been struggling to find something that will that will stick for them. You would propose something now in the 80s, uh, there was the, the video boom. So they would release OVAs, which are original video animations. And uh, there, there were a lot of stuff that came out around that time, especially from studios like Madhouse and uh, Production IG is notorious of this as well. Just releasing all sorts of... Stuff that I believe most of which classified in Britain under the video nasty label because uh because the video boom was so prolific, uh there were basically the studios would just throw money at you and you can make whatever you want as long as it as long as it was cheap, as long as it looked good, and as long as it made back its budget. And that's why you saw a lot of stuff like Doom Megalopolis or uh Wicked City, which are these hyperviolent, like just Sci-fi anime power trips of just uh, these big uh, voluminous haired heroes punching their way through multiple goons as their heads explode, and like uh, I believe Fist of the North Star was the most notorious of that style, but it was an actual series as opposed to a one shot. Meanwhile, yes, and that's the OVAs, and then you have the what I gravitate most to was the the single movies. I preferred to watch things in single capsules that I can easily digest in one sitting. Now, even then, with movies, there are several different variances in the Japanese animation model. You have your typical, like, oh, Ghibli movies that are just a single story being told. And then you have things like the Demon Slayer movie, which just released this past year over here, that is a sequel to a season of television that aired over there sort of like El Camino is to Breaking mm, Bad. Right. It is very much, like, you you can watch it by itself, but you're going to miss a lot of crucial context if you watch that by itself. Uh, that's why mm. I haven't seen El Camino yet. It's not no so great.
2: much story that you miss, it's just context.
0: Context, uh, certain emotional resonances you won't personally have, which is why uh, everyone in Cinephiles is asking, oh, should I see Demon Slayer, the, the movie? It's like, I would recommend watching the, the show first, but yes, you can watch it on its own, and it is a perfectly Emblematic example of Sakuga and well-toned action. Uh, sakuga, for those who are unaware, is basically the term for the animation where you can tell the money really went—the money shots, as as is the stuff where the the images really pop, and the color, perhaps you notice a certain stylistic shift. For example, there may be a scene in Princess Kaguya we bring up that has some elements of Sakuga in it, even if Ghibli as a whole is pretty much 90% Sakuga. Like, there's not really any, like, lackluster throwaway cells you can disregard for most of those films with some exceptions. But, yeah, um, in terms of the Japanese uh, media market, they pretty much have... That's the same when it comes to manga, too. They have they have long-running series. They have one-shots, which, like like I said, are basically like Marvel. Uh, there's, oh, there's a side stories that aren't necessary, but it's like a little fun little addition or perhaps a single story that they want to see if they can pitch as like it's like when Sam Raimi uh made the trailer uh no when the Coens shot a trailer for uh Blood Simple before they could raise funding for the movie cuz they used that trailer mm-hmm. to raise funds to see here's what we're going to try and make that's pretty much what a one shot is over in uh, in manga and uh, and OVAs in uh, anime form
2: or... and I think that's how they got m M Wash attached to it
0: yeah cuz I remember in the correctly, uh, Bruce Campbell is playing the body in the trailer for Blood Simple. And he is not in the final film, unfortunately, but it's like, ah!
1: How <laughs> yeah. long are those one-shots, usually?
0: In in manga form or OVA form?
1: OVA. OVAs, they can range
0: anywhere from approximately, like... They can range anywhere from, like, 15 minutes up until, like, feature length. They're They're pretty much, like, one and done. Some of them... Did happen to get released to f- theaters? Some did, but n- most of them didn't. Most of the, forget the term, uh, pulp that was just spewed into the world on that on that cocaine rush of money that was the nineteen eighties. Uh, most of them did go directly to video, but it would be like anywhere from like twenty minutes up until like roughly feature length. Most of them tapped out around like ninety minutes at max, sometimes a hundred. But since they were on video, they didn't count as proper films per se, even though in my vast uh, depth uh, explorations, I have discovered various things labeled as movies. I'm like, this is just an episode of a TV show you just plopped onto a video cassette and sent to a theater. It's like, okay. It's like, yeah. So they and can bring- the
2: raise... one shot, the one shots in the MCU is from what I remember, like they were pseudo post-credit bumps from what we see now. And they were actual, they looked better. And like, they were shorts that they, they had like a structure. To them, rather than now they just introduce another character in like their short little cameo. And you know, it's it is wild though to think we're just coming off of another Weinstein mishap with our immigrant episode and just the relationship Weinstein had with James Gray in the making of that movie, and also uh, an issue to do with runtimes. Mm-hmm. Very much like correctly painting uh, that company in a very bad light. Thanks, I hate it, because I I love James Gray, and I want nothing but the best (laughs) for my boy. Do you know that story? No. Oh, yeah, he basically gave him an ultimatum, being like, I'm going to bury your movie, or you can change the ending, because he thought it was too bleak and it wouldn't play well to audiences, and he didn't change the ending, and he ended up burying the movie. That sounds like
0: seven other movies that Harvey had his hands on. I'm pretty sure Snowpiercer also faced that gauntlet. Once we
2: cover Snowpiercer, I'm sure we'll bring that one up, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Then you can talk about the know, fish story. The fish story, yes, exactly. That's where my mom was. And I uh will go ahead with my history with uh Ghibli and like, you know, animation as a whole. cuz like I don't know if I have this like romantic uh relationship that a lot of people have with with Miyazaki specifically, like I didn't grow up on them. I actually only watched all of Miyazaki's movies once Blank Check over them, because I realized I'd never seen them. And I'm like, oh, right. No, I know the poster and some of the screenshots for, like, Kiki's and uh, Spirited Away, Ponyo. Like, I I know, like, I can tell you where they're from. I just don't I just don't know much else. Um,
0: you didn't have messed up dreams involving Cat Bus from Totoro yeah. as a kid? <laughs> yeah.
2: Like, I should have. Um,
0: well, they and... weren't messed up as in, like, wow, nightmares. They are more like messed up. Like, that, where's the... There was a cast cat that was a bus in my head for some
2: reason (laughs) like where did that come from and it's so and it's so interesting in that miniseries they kept talking about like well this isn't really a director with a career trajectory nor is he a director that has like many misfires so we just it's just like good and all of them are bangers And it's like yeah that's what i found too um and uh that came a year year and a half after i had actually seen my first Jeeply movie uh, which was Crave for the Fireflies. Um, I had never heard... I think I'd made a, what a positive it, I, start to
0: your Ghibli marathon.
2: <laughs> I know, I was just going to bring that up. Um, I talked about this film class I had when I was a senior in high school that I also writ, wrote a paper about uh, Tree of Life in that one. Um, and like that was maybe like my favorite film class I've ever done. Like, The syllabus had um, No Country for Old Men, There Will Be Blood, Junking Express... Two thousand one, uh, Amelie. Um, I'm, I'm forgetting something major. I wish um, my
0: film professors cared yeah, some animation <laughs> to touch on that.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and he would pair them up, like Amelie and Chun-kang Express were paired up as like romantic interest or something. So like it was very much like a indie romance. Like a theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um theme based. Uh and Graveyel Fireflies was one of them uh Paired with uh, something I can't remember. (laughs) Um, Once I do, it'll be like, oh, of course it was paired with that.
0: Why not something uplifting like the the pianist? (laughs)
2: Um, I may have I can't remember if I told the story when we did *Tree of Life*. Our professor was our teacher. This is high school. He was actually going to show us *A (laughs) More*, but he swapped it out uh, for *Amelie* cuz like his his wife was like you're not going to show your class that movie. <laughs> it's like could you imagine if if like he wasn't he wasn't uh you know persuaded otherwise. No, so just um but no like we saw Grave of, I saw Grave of Fireflies and I I really loved it. I was just like wow, I did not like similar to like your experience with Mononoke. Like I I didn't know animation could do that. Like adult very mature sophisticated animation at that time was just not uh, brilliant um and that knocked out our entire class um like i had some friends in there and we were just like oh <laughs> it was it, but it, but we were like we had to take like a deep breath but also we were very impressed with it and we were like something um that really affected us um and yet yeah, yes yeah, so that's kind of like my piece on ghibli uh it, it is with the like it's Ghibli, not Ghibli. This is like the big debate. Uh, uh, pronunciation it's, like, according
0: Jeff. to according to Romanji oh, by the way, it's giving the... just a <laughs> God damn you. Uh, <laughs> according to the Romanji on uh, various sources I've I've uh, sourced, it is uh, Studio ghibli is the proper Japanese enunciation, but we just call it Ghibli. So it is a it is a soft j in there. So ghibli yeah. works. Correctly.
2: I, I just, my brain just like puts a hot... Harji even if it is. oh uh, yeah, like, it's English. It's
0: it's yeah. English. Look, it's like
2: mm, not sure
0: that's how that sounds, but okay. <laughs> Hell with uh, it.
2: And over time, since seeing Fireflies, I had always just caught up slowly with uh, uh, Takahata. So like, I've gone back to Pon, especially when HBO Max got the rights to Ghibli, and uh, so like Pom and My Neighbor the Yamada. Uh, only yesterday I was blown away. I lo- I loved. I think that might be uh, my favorite one he's ever done. Um, I managed dub. to catch
0: that one when it finally got released over here a couple of years ago when they had, like, the dub with, like, Dev Patel and Daisy Ridley in it. I was so yeah. happy that my local got, got it for a week, and I was like, oh,
2: sweet. So. Yeah. yeah, 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 that one awesome. Um, And now this one that I'd always wanted to see, and I was waiting for you, because I think we had always talked about doing this one and that you're such an animation expert. Um, and Guru, that well, hold on this there. Is...
0: You're gonna you're gonna get the torch and pitchforks after you okay. can call me an expert. I don't even have a degree. This is the first <laughs> animated
2: movie you've ever seen, and um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm a, I, I absolutely adored this. Um, it's and, it, and it's actually been on my list that I made over uh, quarantine uh, that I picked five movies every year since uh, since 1940 as like a list that I'll just go back to uh, as like, I don't know what to watch. And I'll just like pick from any decade. And this was on my 2013 list. So, like I was, I've always really wanted to see this just, um, yeah. never really found the time. Uh,
0: what about you, Tyler? What's your, uh, what's your history with the big G that ain't Godzilla?
2: <laughs> the big G. Um,
1: the big G, so Ghibli
0: uh, history. Or, or or Japanese animation in general. Like, did were you caught up in the Pokemon's craze back in the late nineties? <laughs> I was. I
1: I was uh, in the sweet. Star.
2: Did you want to be the very best, like no one ever was? Listen, Jack.
1: Together. I was the very best. Okay. Uh,
0: did you buy several tickets to go see the mo- The first movie, the movie two thousand and the three.
1: <laughs> um, no, I saw them on video, but I was definitely mm. excited to see them. Um, but yeah, I watched every episode of the show when it aired an and stuff and the card game and all that jazz. Um, but Japanese animation in general beyond, I mean, that was definitely my first. Um, but Ghibli, I was introduced to later on, uh, around college, uh, when, um, friend showed me mononoke and spirited away a good double
0: feature if i should say so myself
1: well i, I mean i didn't watch them to death, like at the same time but Aww. um yeah it would be uh and up until now that was all i had seen so uh that, that was about 10 years ago i watched my last ghibli film uh before yesterday um and it I mean, just background, I mean, I'm not a huge anime guy in general. Um, never seen any shows or anything like that. Um, Akira is another one I have seen uh, a couple times, though, and I really mm-hmm. love. I Here's I yourself. actually seen that uh, on the big screen. Um, and you actually started time. with
2: the uh, Adam Wingard Death Note, right? That's where, like, <laughs> your entry point is.
1: Listen... Adam Wingard, that's uh, Godzilla vs. Kong, right? Yeah, the a guest, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're next. All right, so he's Blair a legend then, in my eyes. Hey. Um, but no, uh, so that's basically the knowledge that I came into this with. I do, I mean, I've always wanted to see more of the Ghibli films. Um, and and the ones I had seen, I loved. Uh, my buddy uh, from college, uh, he... I know that Princess of Kaguya is one of his favorite films of all time, period. Um, I think he had it in his top five of the 2010s. Full stop. Yeah. So of I, just off his word, I was like, I, I knew I had to see it. Um, so yeah, looking forward to, to talking about it. I One thing I do want to say, though, to start off the conversation... Um, is how you guys watched it, because I fired it up on HBO Max yesterday, and I was bummed to see that uh, they only have the English dub. They do? Yeah.
0: Hold on. Uh, I don't think that's true. I because, because, how, how did you I watch tr- it?
1: I tried to switch it over, and I didn't see the option for um japanese audio so
0: yeah uh i believe on the home page for the title there should be like play add to watches and there should be a text box that says like japanese or english i believe you can click that oh and it'll so you gotta
1: select it before you hit yeah play basically the basically
0: yeah on the front page mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. On the on the title page, you have to click the box that says Japanese or English, and it uh, it's basically uh, an a toggle where basically if you toggle it, it'll go to Japanese or English. You can't. It's not like a, a scroll bar. It's like you click it and it'll switch the language. Mm-hmm. Uh, I apologize if you would ask me, I would have told you that immediately because um, mm-hmm. there, the dub is, is good. I will say it is not. It, it is a Ghibli dub uh, when they were being held by di- held in the claws of the mouse. So they it's a relatively good dub.
1: Oh yeah, um, I uh, I. I thought it was good. Uh, I, I obviously wanted to watch Jeff Jap- I'm bummed that all I had to do was go back to the home screen and switch it over. I didn't know that, but I I was happy with it. I thought they did a good job, and um, I texted my buddy that I mentioned earlier and told him that, and he was like, obviously the Japanese original would be preferred, but um, Ghibli, he said, tends to do a good job with their dubs.
2: Yeah, um, I I. I've seen a few with dubs and a few without, just because I read online which ones were worth it. Um, Because like I really enjoyed the, I mean maybe it's I should be careful about which ones I do and don't like. But the My Neighbor Totoro one I think is pretty pretty good. Uh, Like you have both Fanning sisters as uh, the main girls, um, which is like the chemistry is built in. Um, And you know I I also didn't know that about the Japanese audio. I also watched the dub. Um, and I thought this was a very good dub, you know, like a nice elf reunion with the bamboo cutter and a bamboo's wife. <laughs> um, I like, uh, Chloe Grissmoretz's lead role, um, mm-hmm. She's good. yeah, like, yeah, yeah,
0: up until I feel like past- I feel like
2: the difference between Disney though was like the celebrities, I mean, it's sort of like the, obviously it's the famous, um, double-edged sword with having Robin Williams and Aladdin. That like celebrity is now the front page above the title in uh, animated movies.
1: Yeah, but and I never feel that way
2: with uh, deeply.
1: When I was watching the movie though, the dumb, it didn't feel to me like what what would be those like not Disney but other animation studio, other yeah. uh, American like animation American. studios where they just yeah. get the big names and it it's like terrible performances like you can tell they're like just cashing a paycheck it definitely Mm. didn't feel like that
2: yeah definitely
0: yeah um before i launch into my history with kaga i will say actually uh my history with ghibli did not start with mononoke interestingly enough uh back in the day when i was a babysat i actually did manage to catch a my neighbor totoro on VHS back when it was a Fox property. Back when that thing dropped back in like 91 on VHS with a completely different dub. It was Streamline who handled that particular dubbing process. So I, I saw that and then I managed to see when Disney first got a hold of some Ghiblies, they distributed Kiki's Delivery Service over here with the the Kirsten Dunst dub with her in that lead role which is also very near and dear to my heart. But um, going off of my history with Kaguya I saw this when it First uh was posted about in the in the awards circuit for 2014 2013 uh what is the word i am looking for it qualified for 2013 awards however it was or was it 2015
2: 2014 award god damn it <laughs> um
0: well i saw i i, I believe
2: that this and Wind Rises were both 2013 and then it qualified for the 2014 Oscars.
0: Yes, so... Because in my mind,
2: I have This and Wind Rises like sandwiched together, the same I do Grave of the Fireflies and Many Ritodoro. And, and they lost to uh, Big Hero 6, right? <laughs> they <Yeah! year>, sure that's, <laughs> that, that's a
1: tough one. Right, did you know
2: that? <laughs>
0: uh, it, was it was 2014 Oscars when this was up for stuff. So hmm. yeah, this was, right, I saw Big this, hero I, was uh,
2: 2014, so I guess. Yeah,
0: yeah, so it was the 2015 award ceremony. So yeah, because I saw this yeah. on, I saw this on, on Super Bowl day. Uh, me and my friends were like, yeah, this is our Super Bowl. We're going to go see movies at the theater instead of watching this damn football, <laughs> even though we still ended up at a, at a restaurant afterwards and the game, game was on behind us the entire time. So uh, all I can think of when I think of that game is the emotional state of mind I was in post Kaguya <laughs> wrapping up. <laughs> Which, um, so yeah, before this past week, I had only seen Kaguya in theater. I had seen it once during the award circuit run back in 2015, and I saw it when uh, Julie Fest by Fathom re-released it, I believe, in 2019, uh, December. I remember that. I, I, to, I took one of my besties to see it then. And it's like, yeah, I've, I've seen it in both English dub and Japanese dub on the big screen, and I just returned to it on English Dub this past one because my, my friend who hadn't seen it was like, no, no, Ghibli dubs are always are pretty much always good. They are rarely bad. Even though that itself has its own sordid history in the fact that before Disney got a hold of Ghibli, like I mentioned, Fox had a hold of Totoro, and Disney first got a hold of it with Kiki's Service. But another reason that Toshio Suzuki sent that katana to uh, Harvey Weinstein, back in the 80s, Roger Corman's New World Pictures got a hold of the first proto Ghibli film, *Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind*, and cut that poor, poor baby to ribbons and re released it over here as *Warriors of the Wind*. If you seek out the VHS cover, there are there are like five characters all riding their like wind skis and monsters, three of which are nowhere in the movie. So it's like, like,
2: who the hell's that? It's, it's... I had no idea that they retitle it, but I do remember hearing. Um, well, that's funny about that. I say hearing. Because like they mix the sounds like there was a lot more silence in the Miyazaki cut um, Mm -hmm. from when they uh, didn't re-release it. And also they replaced it with um, more of Hisashi's music that wasn't used. Is that right? Um, from what I can tell, I have not seen *Where Is the Wind* because you were there. Pirate. You were in the production. You, yes, pirate. I was. I, minutes, was yeah. I was.
0: I uh, was a child consultant for the <laughs> firm uh, and Roger Corman. I also sat through various uh, sit throughs of *Frankenstein Unbound* and uh, mm. <laughs> uh, I, I, I've seen clips of *Where Is the Wind*. I do own it technically on digital, and I also own it on VHS because my local comic shop had a VHS copy. I'm like, you know, what? fuck it, I. I don't mind owning this piece of trash, even though I'll, I, I still have it un, I still have it wrapped in its plastic just because I have a digital copy. I don't need to watch it in its authentic VHS because someone else in Sweden ripped it for me in the English dub. And from what I could tell, the the, the, the soundtrack sounded different. I think they kept they probably did like a weird TV cut amalgamation where they kept most of the music, but they also integrated a lot of 80s fantasy synthesizer music in there that i did not recognize as his haishi so i cannot say for sure if that's the case but uh, the little blitz i've heard here and there it's mostly there but there are also bits that i, can, I don't remember this in, in the other cut but mm-hmm. uh, again you're talking to someone who as a result of them opening themselves to the world of japanese animation all around that means i watch a lot of stuff and i have not yet had the chance to watch like say pompoko or uh, uh, even some of the earlier Takahadas, which I really need to get around to. The stuff pre-Ghibli that he made. But yeah, I have seen this movie exactly three times. Uh, the first two times, I I needed a crutch to walk out because my legs wouldn't work after that finale. And the third time, I was actually reasonably well put together this past this past Wednesday when I watched it also on HBO Max. Because thank God that we have a platform where we can watch any game. Ghibli feature we we want to in this day and age. Thank God for and the it's a great, clubber, conglomerate the of, of Warner.
1: Yeah, and choose which uh, version you want. Yes, Just noted.
0: Yeah, it's all good, man. Hey, this is a learning experience. It's
1: learning experience is all around. It's it's a springboard to to watch them all. Hopefully, yeah. yeah I and mean,
0: then you, you can uh, do what I did and branch off and think about oh, what other people have worked for Ghibli and perhaps went off to make their own projects. People like Memo- the thing with being in, in the vein, having an intravenous link to Japanese animation, like news and shit, you constantly hear about. Oh, is this new Japanese animator the new Miyazaki? Since Miyazaki retired, it's it, it's it's like retired. when Shyamalan was called. It's like when Shyamalan was called the new Spielberg. When we had those that reign of you, is this the next Spielberg? Like because well, Miyazaki let's is. For, the-
2: let's not forget when uh, I think it was Matt Seitz who was like the next Corsese, Kevin Smith. <laughs> yeah, I think, that, I think there that, was an actual was a lot of like that. thing, article thing about that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> even even Japanese animation is not free of that because us us uh, us basic bitches over here in the West are like, is this the next Miyazaki? Because they made a good looking Japanese animation, and I I I, I welcome all that because I always welcome the new blood that will freshen this up. Hell, uh, Mamoru Hosoto, who I briefly Your mentioned. Name. I really love your name. Yep, Makoto Shinkai. Is Makoto Shinkai the new Miyazaki? Like, he's a bit (laughs) elemental. He's a bit more elemental than Miyazaki even was at times. But, like, uh, Momoro Hosoda, who probably most notorious over here for Digimon, the movie, back in the day, which he has constantly recycled that central set piece for several of his movies, including his new one, Bell, which is dropping in January over Mm. here. Because I look at it, I'm like, yep, that's Summer Wars slash
2: Digimon the movie. He's doing it again, people. Take a shot. And, you know, like to compare uh, animators being touted as the next Miyazaki to talk about something that we mentioned a lot on here, you know, indie directors making something that gets a lot of critical appraisal. Maybe you premiere it at South by or Sundance. And then they're like, uh, so-and-so is going to direct the new Jurassic World. It's like, whoa, let's get them a few more of bats And then they just like giving the, the keys to dad's car. and then, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, there's uh, the world of Japanese feature animation is is simultaneously cutthroat and yet most of the stuff that pl- premieres in Japan does not really come over here. Like it's only like the big series stuff that manages to get over here. It's the stuff that gets massive critical acclaim, like Your Name, and makes bank, or it's the stuff like that's like One Piece movies and Pokemon movies that get like little fathom event screenings all of their own. Like, we, we don't get a lot that's just uh, directly from from the grapevine of Japan here very often. Most time we have to settle for whether it drops on Crunchyroll or whether Amazon picks it up. Or Netflix, which Netflix, um, I'll, I'll try and save my rant about them for later. But they have this little policy called Netflix Jail, where <laughs> they will acquire a series of anime, like an entire series, and they will sit on it. Until it is binge-worthy, they will wait until it is finished airing. While you can get a VPN and watch it live on the Japanese stream as it's releasing, but Netflix will sit on it and dub it and scrub it clean and then drop it like six months after the blood has dried up. That happened with B stars. That happened with BNA. It's like, God damn it, people! You are, you need to strike while the iron is hot with these shows when they're being talked about, man. You can't sit on these for like six months after. They premiere and be like, "Oh, we finally got it over here!" It's like the, we've we've already skipped two seasons in that time. What the hell are you doing?
2: And I bet that's like the same with any other network television show. That's have like Better Call Saul is like a good example of something that'll eventually make its way to Netflix and make some more noise after ending its season on AMC. But then like anime is so much more different since it it already takes a while from to get to the states.
0: Yeah, because, uh, for example, you have AMC Plus because you can watch it live on both That's the true, television yeah. and on the streaming service. Meanwhile, anime, unless you have a direct, um, potentially uh, <clears throat> not so legal hookup, uh, which is very frequent with those of us who imbibe that, unfortunately, uh, you do have to wait until a licensor picks it up for the most part, or it, it somehow lands a DVD release with like a major distributor like Funimation or Sentai and there's there there're only a f- like like movie studios there're only a few big names in anime distribution over here so you you pretty much just got to wait until you, you you won't see it like pop up on like a criterion disc you uh they've have they have their markets pretty mapped out from Funimation to Sentai to uh Discotech is putting out a lot of retro titles that are they're preserving a lot of good shit uh they've got a couple like uh, Uh, remasters and upscales that I'm really excited for. But yeah, in terms of Japanese animation, you really are at the mercy of these western conglomerates that decide at a whim, like, I don't know if this will make that much money. So we might... We probably won't pick up this one and leave it for one of the other copies to pick up and then it's just forgotten. And you have to eventually pirate a copy with fan-made subtitles because it just didn't happen to get a licensed distributor over here in the States. Which gradually... We're getting, because there's more anime being produced, there is more getting its way over here. However, there is still quite a ways to go in several regards.
3: How but about Tubi? does not have that
1: problem. You see any on Tubi? Uh.
0: Uh, Tubi sort of has a, a rival in that it uses the same, like. Uh. What do you call it? Gooey? No. Um. HUD. They use like the same like software and firmware as Tubi. Actually, actually, I'm lying. There is some anime on Tubi. Uh, they have the Yu-Gi-Oh knockoff Duel Masters, which I binged through earlier this year. It's part of my anime channel. Like, ah, this reminds me of the days when I would, I would watch this before I got on the bus because the history, the, the learning channel would have random anime showing before the genuine midday programming started, so I could watch this random shit they picked up. So yeah, Tubi does have some stuff. Most of the time, you will be looking towards like the major services like Funimation as their own streaming service. Um, Hulu picks up a lot of anime as well, although they're usually pretty good about uh, doing it week to week, like most of their television properties. Um,
1: Crunchyroll.
0: Crunchyroll is the big one that yeah, there's like most of it. They also have like K drama and J drama on there. Does um, and...
2: Crunchyroll face a similar problem to Netflix, or are they just? No, it.
0: Crunchyroll Crunchyroll SimulStream. You can mm. you can pick it up the day it's dropped, because they have a mm. really good integrated subtitle uh mm. for a moderation. So they it is you can and there's a lot of companies like Funimation which are getting pretty good about simul dubbing, which they will work together with the studios and have it dubbed at the same time that it is being dubbed in Japanese, in English. So, like, My Hero Academia, the big talk of the town right now in Shonen Manga, is getting that treatment at Funimation right now. You can watch the English dub the same day the Japanese dub sub drops. So, Which also opens up an interesting idea about how we talked about um, the idea of whether we watch the Japanese uh, subtitled version or the English dubbed version. How there is, in the anime community, there is this eternal debate on which is better, subs or dubs. Because each one... English, our English, even the English subtitles, are adapted to uh, ad- account for colloquialisms and little things that don't translate overseas. Princess Mononoke is notorious for the fact that the person who adapted that script in general was Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman uh, wrote that specific, adapted that screenplay to English, and there are a lot of things. If in my DVD of Princess Mononoke and my Blu-ray, I upgraded to. That you can switch between the subtitled version and you can watch the japanese like the english subtitles for the japanese cut and the english for the hard of hearing for the english dub and you'll notice there are plenty of differences even if the story is still the same
3: hmm.
0: but some people claim like dubs are better because you can focus more on the animation because you can just. You don't have to keep looking down at the, at the bottom of the screen to read what is being said. You can listen to an English adaptation of what is being said while still admiring the view better, which I can certainly get along with. I am such a fast reader that I can work with either sub or dub, depending on the quality. I have, heard, because I'm an NFA fan, I have heard a lot of shitty dubs in my day, but... Yeah,
2: about... yeah. <clears throat> And it's so interesting that, duh, that uh, subtitles is gonna be always inherently upgraded, uh, but that doesn't mean that like uh, um, the dubs are inherently downgraded either. Like, I feel like they can always be on level playing field depending on who you have um, reading the scripts.
0: Yeah, uh, but typically, uh, especially since Ghibli was, was taken over by, was uh, touted by John Lasseter with the release of Spirited Aways especially, uh uh. that when they got a hold of it they were pretty good about distributing that. I know even more cursed people to bring up in this <laughs> damn chat, but uh Disney did take care of Ghibli for the longest time over here until G could swept in, I believe.
2: I want to say think I'm just was... going to bleep out John Lasseter's name if that's <laughs> Well,
0: that is perfectly reasonable. You, we will. He will not be missed. I will say. I mean, we, uh, we were talking
2: about Weinstein earlier. You're going to leave
0: him in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's only because it, I just thought of the idea I it was 2011 where G Kids acquired the license from Disney. So mm-hmm. even though Disney retained the home media rights, I believe until 2018. Yeah, that's important. So, G- and G
2: Kids is like their own thing. It's not. It the, yes, the G Kids. I believe.
0: Studio. I don't think it's a Sony subsidiary.
1: Wait, so does Disney not own uh, Ghibli anymore?
0: No. Uh, Which is why it's
1: on HBO Max.
0: Yes. Uh, G Kids worked out a separate licensing agreement with both Ghibli and uh, HBO because people have been vying for the rights for Ghibli movies for a while. I mean, they've some of them have occasionally popped up on Netflix and other places, but it's a very limited license. Meanwhile, HBO has worked out practically... I don't know if it's a lifetime license but they've got a solid hold on this brand for them for the foreseeable future which is i am wholly grateful for because these movies really need before before hbo max you really were stuck with okay you either had you were a you were really only able to watch it profusely if you bought the physical media yeah. which i am all for i am a big proponent of physical media i think it's important that you are able to own a piece and not have to perpetually pay a subscription fee in order to watch a movie you love. I don't think that's right.
1: But the ease of access is always nice. And, and for what it's worth, watching, I was gonna say this, uh, watching it on HBO last night, the movie looked incredible on my TV. Like, if if somebody had told me that it was 4 I I wouldn't, uh, have questioned it because it looks so good um I was really impressed with the the streaming quality and I agree. Uh, and yeah. the color and like like I said uh just for for my money that that could be my favorite animation style I've ever seen it was so I've never seen an animation style like that
0: yeah and we can use this to segue into the film itself because I think
2: only my only yesterday rivals what this looks like.
0: Yeah, and I mean, even uh, then, uh, Ghibli certainly does have a house style. Like you look at like Kiki, Laputa, Nausicaa. Not Nausicaa is not technically Ghibli because it was made at Studio Topcraft before the formation of Ghibli by Miyaz- Miyazaki, Takahata and Suzuki, but it is like proto Ghibli. All the all the ingredients are there. It just needs to be like put in the oven and and have the cake come out that is Ghibli. Uh, but you notice, like, across their animation product, most of it has a very similar house style. Like, Kiki looks a little bit in the facial structure as Nausicaa or uh, Ashitaka or any anything else besides probably My Neighbors, the Yamadas, which also has a very distinct. Yes. Uh, yes. Actually, uh, I swap the answer. Style. I
2: think Yamadas looks uh, much closer to this than Only Yesterday does. The impressions are much more similar, because um, th- cause that's what I always think of um, um, Takahata's animation style. Like, it's like suggesting more than Miyazaki, where it's just concrete or, yeah, it's, it's like, both of them are so rich in detailed, but like, you can tell who's drawing what.
0: Yeah, and did you guys notice like, uh, I mean, the stylistic shift between the, the settings, right? like how early on in the in the rural it is very uh, wispy emphasizing charcoal emphasizing not like pencil or ink lines but charcoal lines lining in order to emphasize those uh, figures and it's very watercolory the colors and textures are very wispy and it even has like that little like sepia like old school cinema style where the edges fade out out -hmm. from the edge of the frame Meanwhile, once you get into the nobility in the city, uh, the colors become more saturated. The colors mm-hmm. become more, more bold. The shapes become more set. The the there is a almost a, c- a caging effect. Uh, people things are getting set. Just they are they are no longer freeform. They are being just put in the oven and solidified. Yeah, I think the it's colors nice become a middle. little
2: lighter when she's being taken under that apprenticeship to become a princess. It's like the world is starting to fade uh, open.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's really impressive how this is one of the most distinct looking Ghibli movies, uh, considering how it so obviously takes after like Japanese woodcut style. The idea of like these little, since it is a based on a folktale, most of these folktales have their roots in like old, old, Japanese folklore, and accompanying those would sometimes be like woodcuts, which even in Europe they have woodcut stylings. And I know in Germany and France, particularly, there are several like art, artisanal representations that follow closely in that style. But Japan still has such a—they have a more cali- cal- calligraphy-based mm. way of like designing
2: things. Yeah. Do you prefer that this was retitled uh, uh, "The Tale of Princess Kaguya"? rather than the tale of the bamboo cutter cuz i i see it as like such an such like a, an improvement since this is really her story and not so much like yes like um the bamboo cutter who cuts it off and he's like sort of the instigator to find her and raise her but it's, it's like she's i don't think there's a scene without her if if any um.
0: from what i understand uh the original folktale is basically told about the bamboo cutter meanwhile mm-hmm. okay so, so the reason talk about one of the One of the reasons Takahata took this, sat on this project for so long was because as a child, he couldn't relate to the princess character because she was basically a symbol. She wasn't a character in the original folktale. It was all about the bamboo cutter's foolish uh, avarice and such, the things he thought would be good for this this person in his life. Uh, Meanwhile, Takahata's focus was to focus on her as a character. Like he is the jumping-off point, but she is the true focus of the story because she is the focus of his attend of his intentions and intentions. As it result. soon
2: becomes the focus of the community. So it's like blossoms into his own personal like protection and like his little girl, and then like soon like everyone wants ownership.
1: That's a, yeah. such a universal story is uh, a parent like imparting um, their their wishes and their view of the world onto their child and the child trying to find their own identity and break off for that. Like, anybody can relate to that. It's Um. like
0: succession for (laughs) (laughs) six-year-olds. Yeah.
2: Nick Bertel killed it with scoring this. Yeah,
0: Yeah, but uh, you have so many... Again, you cannot ignore the fact that I can just imagine some people are like, "Ah, oh, this movie got all political when it started talking about feminism." Like this movie, you can't ignore the politics or the classist structure of this movie. Yeah. It, you are willfully cutting off about thirty percent of the story if you if you disregard that aspect of the storyline. Yeah. Because yeah, she was a lot more happier when she was a little kid. Uh, Not out
2: to in the say, woods like, playing with friends. Twenty thirteen was that long ago, but it would be pretty trash to think that. Um that sort of out like that sort of criticism <laughs> the discourse. would happen now. Yeah, the discourse. <laughs> the
0: the artificial outrage. <laughs> yeah.
2: Just like the white noise uh uh during the film's release would totally sound something like that. It's just Hell oh is recent just as recent as just enjoy the... this. <laughs>
0: As recent as the Netflix adaptation of Cowboy Bebop, people are like, "Ah, oh, they wokeified Cowboy Bebop." I'm like, did you not watch the original show and take note of how dystopic that society is in that show, and how much it's it's pointing the finger at dirty cops and shitty and shitty business practices? Are you saying that that was not there? Hold on, there,
2: sir. I don't think your main character is that good of a person. Like, let's not. Sorry, for that. right, that's have you watched the Netflix series?
0: I have not. I did, um, one of my uh, mutual friends did a breakdown of it. Uh, I follow the an- anime v- u- YouTuber Mother's Basement, who basically caught up, okay, there are good things about this and the bad things about this. I will try and keep the good things relegated to the end, but let's start by pointing out what it gets right about about the Bebop adaptation, and it's, again, I have nothing against... <sighs> Japan has been adapting their manga and anime for live-action for, for years, for eternities. Yeah, We've been doing it, too. We've made, we made a live-action Popeye movie back in the 80s, directed by Robert Altman, for God's That's sake. Good. So, it is good. It is, is amazing, actually. Uh, one of the most, bold, one of the most uh, inspired uses of color in a motion picture I've ever thought of. But uh, I can't say that I, I'm always... I have to say I'm always wary when Hollywood... And West decides to do it because, with only one, ex- with only possibly two exceptions, every live, every Western adaptation of an of a Jap- of like an Eastern animated property doesn't turn out too great. Usually, I can point to Super Mario Brothers movie comes to mind. Even though it's not technically an anime, it is still a, an Eastern property that was co opted by the West to make their own uh, big blockbuster out of.
2: Yeah. You've
0: also got. Um, do you like that
2: one? I, 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 that one's kind of like getting a reprisal.
0: Uh, I have to revisit it. Uh, I have with, a lot of affection uh, for it. John Leguizamo, right? John Leguizamo and Bob Hoskins. That's and Dennis it. Hopper as King Cooper. <laughs> Inspired casting. Just 10 out of 10. Yeah. Uh, we've also had, uh, more recently, the Ghost in the Shell live-action movie mm. that came out a few years ago that had Beloved quite the film. discourse all around it. Um, Would you come back uh, to do
2: Ghost in the Shell?
0: Uh, <laughs> sure. You want, you, want, you want depressed... You want... Uh, different, depressed, sad Brett talking about Japanese culture? Sure, let's go.
2: This whole thing um, is this, this.
0: Uh, Like, Ghost in the Shell has a whole cloud hanging over it, not just from its content, but from the idea that Hollywood approaches animated properties, bringing them to live action, with the sense that animation is always meant for children. That's mm-hmm. why it has these bold colors and bold stylistic choices. It is meant to entertain the youth. Meanwhile, to make it serious and attained to adults, you have to make it live action and bring it out of that stylistic sinkhole to their eyes. Which, in my opinion, is a bad way to approach animation because animation is for everyone. That is why Akira was released. Are you going to tell me that the movie Akira is a movie meant for children? Are you going to tell me that Ghost in the Shell will hold the attention of children beyond the three action sequences it contains in that film? I... Like, the East has openly embraced the fact that animation can't be for adults. We we tried to for a while. We had the likes of Ralph Bakshi back in the 70s and 80s who made shit like heavy metal and tried to say, no, we can make animation for adults. But then they bombed and didn't make the – weren't the smashes they were supposed to be. So therefore, Hollywood's like, nah, animation's only for kids. Sorry. That's how and it that's is. That's
2: sort of, like, the whole narrative would, uh, like, in my estimation, like, post-up Pixar – that you'll find people being like, this is really for kids and adults. Like once that first 10 minutes of Up came out, people are suddenly realizing, wow, this this can affect all ages.
0: Yeah, but unfortunately- Now they're expecting
2: Pixar to make you weep. (laughs) Um, But also point out,
0: uh, Disney is the only ones who were really allowed to get away with this. Because everything else that gets live action adaptation with well, actually no, I have to take that back. Because Disney also is not free of adapting their anim- animated properties for live action as of recent. So, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. So they they just haven't learned the lesson and just keep diluting the brand despite their own their own money stacks. Uh, what
1: studio was it that made Ghost in the Shell? That
0: was, I want to say was M- MGM. It yeah. May have been Sony. I know it had Beat Takeshi in it. Sony. I was like, "What the hell is Takeshi Kitano doing in this movie?" <laughs> Hold on, this is almost a good idea. You almost got it right, movie. What the fuck happened? Um, distributed boy Oh, that was a Paramount. Holy shit! We had the holy, the unholy trifecta of Paramount, Amblin, and DreamWorks spearheading that one. <laughs> wow. Steve, why? Impressive, <laughs> Steve. Uh ah, oh God, yeah. So we have this weird tendency, again, with the, with like two exceptions. I will make that the West has adapted anime, Japanese Eastern animation properly, and they both came out in the same fucking year. It was uh, Pokemon Detective Pikachu. I think adequately, if not satisfactorily adapted Pokemon to a live-action venue, just in the way those those creatures were designed. I thought, this is gorgeous,
2: holy shit. This chat is blind. Um
0: The story, the screenplay wasn't great, I will admit. The movie overall has problems, but I like the way it adapted animated properties into live-action and made those creatures really work. They worked in live-action, because there are so many examples of things that are adapted to live-action from animation that do not work. I'm looking at the Resident Evil movie that just dropped in theaters, and certain <laughs> creature effects in that movie. But that same year, we also had Alita, Battle Angel, Mm, which God damn Jim, God damn,
2: hats off to you, yeah,
0: yeah. Jim and Bob just. I was gonna say, give
2: give Rodriguez a little credit.
0: Yeah, Jim and Bob, they, (laughs) they, they, yeah. (laughs) Well, interestingly enough, Jim Cameron got the idea for. Has anyone touched on Alita on this podcast?
2: No, please come for Alita. Okay,
0: I'll do that one too because fuck it, let's talk about. Okay, is that before or after
2: Ghost of the Shell? We
1: we need to manifest the sequel (laughs) into production. Yeah, uh, I just you have to binge every
2: Bob Rodriguez now, like like you did for Soderbergh, when because like already... coming on the day when uh, Magic My Last Dance Kit is just announced. That's
0: right, start off with Bedhead, then jump into El Mariachi. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, Hollywood has such a bad track record with adapting this shit that it's it's really just okay. Just make a dub for this movie. We don't want to see you. Cause forever, they've been threatening us with J.J. Abrams to adapt your name for the West, and like, no, really, please. they were talking about no. that. I
3: remember
2: that. Oh wow, that's no, nice.
0: it's still okay. it's still in production wow. technically. Like, no, like he doesn't no. produce; he's
2: just directing. Like J. 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 is,
0: yeah, I'm... he's producing uh, it, but oh, I think it's Mark. I think it's Mark Forster attached to it.
2: Interesting, like yeah, the guy behind about, Quantum of Solace
0: uh, and World War Z. Weird. Oh my god. god, that's such about, a
2: weird
1: guy. Um. Wasn't it Lorda and Miller that we're talking about doing Akira for a long time?
0: Uh, Lord Lorda Miller, Taika Waititi is now attached to it. Yeah. Uh, or actually, no, he just left it, I think.
1: Yeah, he left it, too. It's it's dead now, they say.
0: Yeah, which... Um, I don't want yeah, to go to that are... parallel
2: universe of Taika Waititi's Akira. That's
0: bleak. Yeah. But I, they've been threatening us with a live-action Akira for years. Even Japan hasn't managed to make a live-action Akira. And that's fascinating, considering how much how technically akira destroyed uh remember how i said there was a big uh, wretched bubble of cocaine infused animation money that was being thrown at shit from a, for ova sake and that
3: mm-hmm.
0: akira ended that because akira cost was the most expensive japanese movie ever made to that point wow and it and it cost so much it couldn't come close to making back its money even though you can see the money on that screen yeah. you can see how like Polished and perfected that animation technique is. I will never fault Katsuhiro Otomo for his technical prowess when it comes to animating shit. It's his choice of screenwriting that I have some qualms with. But otherwise. I think,
2: like, Akira, like, ignoring if it would be good or not, Akira would be money in the bank to adapt, just considering.
0: I mean, hours. back in the 2000s, they were posting like, ah, oh, yes, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio to play Kaneda, and I'm like, no. <laughs> no.
2: No. He's too old. No. Oh my God. <laughs> no. Jesus. And I mean, like, Leo um, uh, casting announcements, I had that same reaction when they're going to... when Him and they Guillermo said, del Toro with,
0: the, with planned projects, like, okay, how many <laughs> of these are actually going to get made?
2: Um, yeah, like, um, when they're announcing the uh, um, Another Round remake, uh, apparently he's... Starring in that is that film. happening? I don't know. That that came like right after it won the Oscar, and, I, and we haven't is, heard is, much is, from it since.
0: Is the Tony Erdman adaptation still coming out mm-hmm. with Jack Nicholson and
2: uh, Kristen Wiig? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah,
0: oh uh, but yeah, back I, to I love uh, that back...
2: one. Oh my god! I, uh, man, I yeah, know, but fun,
0: fun fact: uh, it was Giondo del who handed off the Alita manga to Jim Cameron that got that uh, project mm-hmm. off the ground. Interestingly enough, back in the day. But of the Toro is also very on the fi- Actually no that makes 3 because Pacific Rim is as close to a good Gundam movie as we will get in the states yeah. uh, until Jordan Vogt-Roberts makes whatever he wants to out of that. He's attached to both Metal Gear and Gundam and I'm
1: Oh wow, I forgot.
0: I like Kong Skull Island, but I'm also very wary of Jordan Vogt-Roberts's attitude when it comes to certain properties. So, but back to Kaguya. Uh <laughs> Kung Fu Solid is uh,
2: in, involved with uh, Metal Gear Solid, so at least it'll—I uh, don't know.
0: <laughs> I mean, and Hideo Kojima just just made a film company, so God knows what's going to happen to us now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. He's probably going to kill us all by accident. But <laughs> that man's insane. God love him. Uh, but with with Kaguya, it, my when I showed it to my best friend Phil, who is the true animation hound in my circle. He took note of how it took him up until the third act to realize that this was a fairy tale. Because for the most time he just thought, oh, basic fantasy, magical realism movie about uh, uh, the nobility and and rural life. And it took him until the final third to realize, oh, no, wait, this is playing with not only Japanese folklore, but Buddhist mythology as well as Taoism in its final stretch in particular. But you've also got this intense sense of materialism that they constantly have to fight against, uh, which kickstarts off when Kaguya provides that fucking bamboo cutter with all that goddamn gold. It's like, mm, mm-hmm. you start your intentions were good, but you may have sent the wrong message with this uh, propriety.
2: And I instantly thought back to Spirited Away with the uh, idea of materialism and greed. Uh, with the, yeah, with, with the no, no, face. no face. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Just rewatched that this year. I think I'll finally come around on it. And I don't dislike Spirit Away. I just think it's the least of the canon it, that affects me personally. That wow. isn't actually a bad film. I'm, again, I, I hate to throw Goro Miyazaki under the bus, but goddamn, man, that that, that talent skipped a generation. Yeah. So that, from how, from movie, how I understand it, um,
2: Goro Miyazaki is thrown under the bus enough. <laughs> Spirit that's Away why, won
1: the Oscar, right? Yes.
2: John Lasseter yeah,
0: single-handedly... Just like how Harvey personally bought his way to Shakespeare in Love winning an Oscar, yeah. John Lasseter did his magic to ensure Spirited Away get recognized at the Oscars. And, and it was- uh, Spirited
2: Away winning is one of my favorite, maybe not one of my favorite, but just one of like the weirdest Oscar moments uh, for something that's not like one of the above the line like major categories um, that that's safe till the very end. It's like you have cameron diaz presenting and she's like you know obviously it's competing against shrek that year and she's <laughs> like the winner is spirited away and miyazaki was not there to accept i think like nope. she's like um she accepted yeah. it on its behalf because he was protesting uh, the iraq war um mm-hmm. and wow. and everyone's just kind of like okay we clap now and then, and then like they just like you know, go forward, but, I'm it, surprised but then John like, Lasseter and I, there there way and
0: stage some, like oh, I'll accept it on his behalf.
2: But, yeah, I know, seriously. But there was like a thing in the room, like I think something revolutionary and groundbreaking just you know was awarded uh, an Oscar. But we're we're, we're going to continue on with the night, and it's and it's, it so it's, it's just weird all around.
0: <laughs> and that doomed the rest of Japanese animation to get nominations, but never a win yes. from then on. Yes,
2: uh, which is relevant to this uh, to this episode
0: yeah we'll get to it so, yeah. uh, but uh, what did you guys uh, think of the movie let's just let's cut it into halves shall we let's say what did you think of the first half of Kaguya's tale uh, let's say up until a certain banquet scene
2: uh, I, I really loved the specific details that I I was trying to look out for with an eagle's eye this time because I, I knew so much going in now with, with more context. Um just with Ghibli's animation style and Takahata as a as an animator um, and with Kaguya um learning like how to walk and how to waddle around as a baby from like watching frogs and it's like, oh, man, that's pretty cool um, and then you can definitely see the folklore um fable influences, especially in that first half. It feels like something you would you would like uh, learn in in school a little bit something like like a bedtime story, almost.
1: Yeah, I love the first half. Um, and and for, uh, you know, I'm not sure at one, like time marker or how far into it um, they move to the capital. What would it be like maybe half hour forty five? Like,
0: yeah, th- 30, 35 minutes.
1: It mm-hmm. sounds very. Um, I really love that early part. Um, like you said, the art style is a bit different. Everything is like wispier as like she's becoming um, familiar with the world, um, and you and she's kind of got this like relationship with her friend that's starting to like blossom a little bit. Um, yes, tomorrow. I'd like to know who's who's the English voice actor? Is that James Marsden? Um, Probably, I think, so. I, think
0: I, I have it open here. Give me a sec.
1: Um, but yeah, I will be honest. When uh, they move to the Capitol, and like, there's a clear like shift in the story. At first, it was kind of like a uh, dip for me. I was like, "Oh, this isn't as interesting." Um, although the art style remained as interesting because of the way they like dress her up and everything um to to become princess is like really beautiful to see, but I was like not as um invested in seeing her become a princess as I was in seeing her like build a relationship with this boy and like uh become one with the world around her like in the countryside uh, I was because like, inherently
0: really... becoming a princess dehumanizes her
1: mm-hmm. yeah, and
2: yeah she's like a... I'm not gonna be a human being, I'm not gonna be a person. If I can't, can't, if I can't show emotion,
1: and they keep hammering that home. When I like, take her eyebrows off? Mm.
0: Stain her teeth.
1: So, yeah. Uh, uh.
0: By the way, Stu Tomorrow is voiced by Darren Criss in the English dub. Uh, James Marsden oh. voices one of the one of the suitors in like the second half when they're all yeah, like, "Oh, princess, we want to
2: marry you." Uh, I think Darren Criss is like a Broadway theater.
0: Yeah, director. he was. He's probably most notorious over here for being in American Crime Story Season 2, The yeah. Assassination of Gianni Versace. Uh, killed yeah.
1: Versace, man. Yeah, and
0: he also <laughs> was in Glee. I remember that much. Yeah. He got his He got his start working for Team Starkid with uh, A Very Potter Musical, where he played Very Potter himself. I think
2: Versace is pretty good. I I heard good things. I only saw OJ, it with James. It's good.
0: I am yeah. too. Uh, uh, I, I, I think Dengren Christ is, is a fine talent. I just haven't seen enough of him to give a solid... Recommendation or disapproval based on the few episodes of Glee I watched before I stopped. Uh, uh. But yeah, uh, I think the voice cast is actually pretty good. Go.
1: Yeah. So, what as as time goes on and she's um, time goes on in the capital and she's like losing herself more and more and trying to like keep hold, hang on to her identity, despite the people around here kind of like taking it from her, um, including her parents, right? Because mm-hmm. her dad's definitely pushing this thing forward. That's what he wants.
0: Yeah, her, her, his wife is going with the flow more often than not.
1: Yeah. Um. But I was I'm becoming more invested in that as it went along, too. And then obviously that's, like, a, a big moment, I think, is when um, her friend comes and sees her from the countryside and, like, gets beat up. She sees yeah. him out of the back of the wagon, and
0: yeah, I believe that's uh, right after she escapes the banquet. Is she's coming back? Uh, oh wait, no. Shit, my, I... I've seen this three times. Right, I must I remember right. this perfectly.
1: Uh... But anyways, the obviously the final scene is just a, a banger, mm.
3: um,
1: and not at all what I expected. I was like, oh, they're gonna end it like that.
0: Yeah, and yeah, we'll we'll get to that in a second, but
2: in that whole again, there was... is like uh, we only have so much time. Might as well just it's it's sort of like this extreme uh, retelling of a uh, an idea that's that's so uh, that's so perfect. Like we have such limited time here on Earth. Let's just like mm-hmm. make the most, and uh, we don't know when it's gonna end or like what's gonna happen. But yeah, it's it's really great. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah, it's it, it really does it. It's uh, it, it sinks uh sinks its tendrils into your capillaries and uh, once that root needs to be pulled, it it tugs quite quite savagely at your interior. Here. Gives you the feels, as the anime uh, crowd would say. Ah, oh, my feels. Uh, but I want to point out how there is not just one stylistic shift in this film, but there is the banquet scene where she is once again being talked about as this ornamental figure like oh man she's so beautiful why can't we see you old man come on (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that that just builds and builds and builds until finally she before then she has been like lightly rebellious like oh i don't feel like being a that princessy that feels wrong like i don't like that and this is the moment where it's the final straw she she has to escape and that's when uh, uh the line work when she escapes and is bursting through the walls out into the woods so and bad. the line work changes from charcoal drawings to actual brush strokes mm-hmm. and that's where that again another stylistic shift comes in and it's just become so expressionistic and for some reason the first reference i came to was the end of rejected uh the the, the don Hertzfeldt felt short where like everything's starting to crumble and like just just go nuts that's like oh,
1: sorry, oh to wait a minute but that's yeah, when there's... she runs back to the country and runs back into him right mm-hmm. i love that scene yeah
0: yeah well uh i believe this is the the, the escape scene which is uh, at first a dream sequence because she Oh yeah. She looks for them, she finds all the empty houses, and then she passes out but wakes up back at the party. Uh, the second time is um uh, when when she sends the suitors away. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I want to see the, the cherry blossoms and then her, her mother and best girl, the handmaiden servant, uh, travel out with her in the cart to see the cherry blossoms where they run into uh, a pair of peasants who immediately recognize her as royalty, and then on the way back is when Sudomaro is accosted by the guard.
2: And it kind of takes your breath away, that moment um, Kaguya is ready to face death than, uh, than to be princess anymore. When the bamboo cutter is like, I just, I really wanted to have a seat at the capital for you to uh, become royalty. That That moment was like Pretty staggering.
0: Path to hell, best intentions, you know. Mm. That yeah, God bless James Con for doing a yeah. really good yeah. voice yeah, voice role in this.
2: Was he's he's simultaneously fantastic. And Mary Steamberger as the narrator.
0: Yeah, Mary Steinberg as the, yeah, the narrator and the babe and the wife. Uh, they, they, there is a really good cast attached to this. And I would like to also point out uh, the appropriate casting of Dean Kane as the Emperor. <laughs> In this movie, and like, hmm, Dean Cain playing a piece of shit who doesn't think highly of women? Interesting. Very interesting, that casting.
2: Mm-hmm. It's the first but... time we're talking about any of these actors. i uh, memory serves. My
0: <laughs> yeah, Dean Cain, best known for being uh, Superman back in the 90s, and now being a regular guest on Fox News. Mm-hmm. And one, and OAN. So, there, that's uh, what I'll say about him. Mm. Uh, but also, once you get the suitors involved, and the, the folk tale takes on another dimension, where it's a, oh princess, we must woo you. You must believe our flowery words. I will compare you to this impossibly beautiful mythical object. Okay, go get it. <laughs> wait, what?
2: And it's and that's wait, coming wait, up this, That's the how this works. It's coming off the heels of like that ceremony, and everyone's like, well, if we're celebrating the intro, the uh, introduction of this new princess then why can't we see how beautiful and and uh, mystique of of this girl is and you know like that dichotomy is like kind of the irony of this whole story that they want to celebrate something they don't even know yet and they just for the sake of um just celebrating it
3: mm-hmm.
0: they're never satisfied with what they have uh, a very A very familiar tale to a lot of characters in this particular tale Mm -hmm. yeah and then that final and then second half kicks in because you have the suitor story take precedence uh that wraps itself up in both uh hilarious hilarious and uh depressing manners Mm -hmm. like not every one of them gets out of that alive it's
2: like oh that poor dude i love the hilarious moment when um Oh shoot! Who's the friend that she's like buried with the uh, with the letters and the gifts, and she comes running in with them, and like she, like everyone has these these uh, uh, these notes these notes for with these these presents, um, and she's like getting them out of the coat and the jacket, and, like you know, big pile. Um, but like I really like the animation in that part because like she still has a smile on, and it's like slowly turning into a frowny face, um, and she's like being suffocated by people, like. Give this to her. Give this to her.
0: I'm also a big fan of the, the 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 storm at sea sequence where that one guy's like, "I will get the dragon's fang," and it's like, "Yeah, this the guy ain't gonna agree with that, man. You you best turn around, man." Mm-hmm. That perfect shot of the the sword being struck by lightning and like warped over the sea, like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. pretty great stuff. I like that. And then the the proper nobility gets involved, and then it all goes to shit. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Yeah and um I like yeah, it, and I think in between there it's when that group of suitors are like trying to get her uh those those valuables and those those treasures and she's like, just get me something real. I think that's that's sort of the the mission statement that she's like, I just I just need you to show who you are, um, without all these fantasies that you're constructing for me. Mm hmm.
0: Yeah, talk is cheap. Show me, show me show me some reality. Which makes the sequences where they do bring back some baubles all the more entertaining. Like, look at this perfect uh, uh, fire rat fur. Alright, toss it in the fire. Prove it. Ugh. Insert Jordan Peele sweating gift. It's like, uh, uh. ugh.
1: <laughs> ugh. I just had uh, the American comparison for her to Princess Kaguya. She's like uh, Britney Spears. You know. Free Kaguya. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: I can yeah, see that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I can see it. <laughs> <that>. Free Kaguya. <laughs> yeah,
0: and, and it is the the ending of that particular storyline with the death of that last suitor, accidentally mm-hmm. in his pursuit of her, that causes her her mood to completely change, and that's when the emperor steps in.
2: Now I wonder mm-hmm. if Kaguya was on IG, would she be like sending cryptic, cryptic messages? through like videos and on on the captions to my fans like
0: it would just be constant pictures of the moon and no one would know why
2: (laughs) like hey guys trying to get home Uh...
0: yeah so I guess we can talk about the final stretch of this particular film uh, where how did it hit you guys particularly once you realized uh, once that last 20 minutes kicks in
1: um, I was kind of, like, in awe when, you know, the music kicks in and, and you see, like, the big celebration coming down from the moon. Um, but in my, in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, she's, something's gonna, like, shift and, like, she's not gonna go. And she's gonna stay and, like, everything's gonna be alright. And, and, like... That doesn't happen. It just like keeps going, and then it goes to credits. So I was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> That's <Nothing's
2: laughs> like, gonna be all right. Nothing is good.
1: No. I was like, "This isn't a Disney movie." <laughs>
0: Homer running after the the pig. It's still good. It's still good.
1: <laughs> um, but her her parents like don't make it either, right?
0: No, they, no, they, they still, they're still alive at the end. They're just left mourning. Oh,
1: okay. Cause because I, I remember they were, they were like on the, the way of thing, but like passed out.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, the, that's the, the power of the Buddha and his clan. They have the power of sleep. The, 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 the fun fact, that entire cloud smells like chloroform. So, uh, <laughs> uh, Jack, what about you, uh, when it comes to the finale?
2: I guess com- comparing it to other G. Lee works, I was sort of like in for what for what they uh, what kind of endings they tend to follow, what their rhythm is, um, and I got sort of I got spirited away from it again. I got Howl's Moving Castle* a little bit, um, and yeah, I think it was it was like all this um, love and love and. Uh, all these memories that they have built together as, as a family has lasted and, th- and they'll remember this for, and they may not remember this forever. Um, but it's, it must end. And it's almost like that bittersweetness um, is like the, the logical conclusion to the story. Right. Cause um,
3: mm-hmm. but,
2: like, I I think it would almost feel worse if like they just lived on. Um since, like
0: yeah what's what's the worst way you can punish someone make them live with it right
2: or it's like yeah. uh, it's like ai a little bit the spielberg movie mm. right like living with eternity yeah yeah it's like you say it's like a punishment a little bit um
0: which that is also an anime that rather with a pass. memory you
2: can carry with you forever and like you can alter in perspective right but,
0: Which actually, that's the concept for an anime that just dropped this past year. Uh, There is an anime that dropped this year that is based off, like, a best-selling manga. Here's the high concept in a nutshell. It's the thing, but emotional. Where (laughs) it's, like, this alien orb that lands on Earth and can take the form of anything it touches. It starts off as a rock, then it becomes moss, then it becomes a, a wolf. And then it meets a boy. And then the entire series is based on it traveling... That boy's path through life and losing everything, and it's it's this this alien life form learning what what loss and grief is, hmm. as it wow. travels the earth, and it's gotten a lot of attention and a lot of uh, a lot of praise uh, for those who have seen it. I have seen the first episode. I'm like, oh yeah, oh I know this is gonna fucking kill me if I watch this. <laughs> so, but um, you um... remember
2: seeing this in theaters? Like, this was genuinely well-received because from with uh, um, what's the number seven years or eight years on uh, people will tell this as one of the greatest animation movies of all time never nonetheless the decade so I, I mean like and I think all of us agree with that
0: yeah it, it made my honorable mentions uh, when I did the decade when I at retro culture decided to uh, proffer a massive decade in review mm. podcast in four
2: parts which I think all four of those, like, that's my, I guess I have to. All right, you know what? I'm going to come out and say it. Like, that's my favorite episode of yours. Okay. Just,
3: I <laughs> Thank have you. Yeah. Uh, oh,
0: someone listened to it. Sweet. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, it, it came up in the categorical half. I the just first found the okay. Yeah, it was, it was my se- It was my runner-up, basically, for my favorite Eastern animation of the decade. Because it is just so, it's a Ghibli, it's a Ghibli. Fuck me. It's a Ghibli movie, therefore, it is go. you are going to be left emotionally involved by the ending. Even if it's a bad movie, you will feel something as a result of it. You never watch a Ghibli movie and feel like, okay, that was a movie I watched, on to the next one. Uh, it's not like endless screeners coming at you. It's like, well, you're eventually getting numb and just like, well, that was a movie I watched next up to fill up the list. Yeah,
2: Kaguya... Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, yeah, like something people most- would
2: say a lot with Ghibli is like, you feel respected and you're your never condescended to as, as an audience member. And I, I, I think that's really well observed.
0: Yeah, uh, this did leave me with a genuine emotional response in the theater. And that emotion was partly rage at the at the final stretch because I absolutely adore this movie, but I hate how it made me feel in the moment because with that last scene... Once again, she is robbed of agency in her final moments on Earth when the cloak is forced on her, and she forgets her her life. Like mm-hmm. she is literally begging for another moment with these people who have raised her and taught her the ways of humanity, and instead, the 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 great deus of the of the universe to be look at their watches. Like, well, we're running out of time. Thump, and you just see the life vanish from her eyes, and. It's like, I just about screamed in the theater, <laughs> cause I just want to go yeah. no, <laughs> cause God damn it! it I felt so for sad. this movie.
2: And to like yeah, psychoanalyze Takahata, I, I would assume like that's sort of the response he's he's expecting from from audience. and you know, it's almost like the job of directing the movie would would be considered a failure if that weren't your response.
0: Yeah, uh, Takahata is an interesting dude because. Uh, while everyone remembers Miyazaki and he is the household name of the Ghibli trio per se, uh, Takahata was his uh, his senior. Uh, he had seniority on Miyazaki throughout their entire careers because he was the one who had like Miyazaki as an assistant when they first started working at like Toei in the sixties on shit it's like. Like, like Dr. And like... Andrew
2: Stanton, it's like they're working together, yeah, but also
0: like they would start off on like doing like background work for like Astro Boy and then move on to. Uh, Takahara would make his first film effort in 1967 with uh, Horace, the Little Norse Prince. And then over the next few years, they would try and uh, come up with their own dream projects to work on. They would eventually make, they wanted to make a Pippi Longstocking. That was the longest running project of. Takahata and Miyazaki—they wanted to make a Japanese adaptation of *Pippi Longstocking*, but the shareholders just wouldn't let it go. So they eventually had to uh, use those thematics for other works. Like they made uh, an adaptation of *Heidi* for television in the '80s, uh, in the '70s, as well as I. Why did my note software close? Uh. And it's only, Takahata was very content to be just a producer, for the most part, just an overseer. When they first started Ghibli in the, the mid-80s, he was perfectly content to just watch from the background, make sure make sure things would get done. Because at first, Toshio Suzuki had not migrated over from manga to anime at this point. He was merely a person in the cultural know who was helping Takahata and Miyazaki find work and ways to push their work elsewhere.
2: Is that pre-Ghibli?
0: Hello? Oh,
1: so was
0: that pre Ghibli? Uh, it was pre Ghibli. Uh, I'm sorry, my, my screen has froze, so I, I'm just You're hoping good now. that it's still continuing. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. So, my, my note software is dead. Good to know. Uh, uh, yes, pre Ghibli, it was just Takahata Miyazaki, and Suzuki was actually working at a, a manga uh, distributor magazine called Animage where he would basically use his references and his his people that he knew, that he knew a guy in the industry who could help Takahata and Miyazaki put some work forward. That's how they got, like, the Lupin, the third movie in 79. And that's eventually how, uh, eventually, post-Nazuka's... Nazca was a manga first, and it was a, a groundbreaker of a manga, which actually... I own in hardcover from uh Right Stuff Anime in two glorious epic sized manga volumes. It'd be it kind of crazy completely... if you
2: took out the katana that was sent to Weinstein right there.
0: I wish I could steal that. <laughs> <laughs> it's mine. mine now, bitch.
1: I've never read a manga. What um I would be a good starting point.
0: Nazca is only uh, like I wanna say like six six books. So that's a pretty good one if you wanna like if you haven't watched Nausicaa I would you can start with the movie and then read the manga because the movie is basically the first half of the manga they just didn't have the rest of the stuff that uh miyazaki would basically flavor and like accentuate like the pattern with in the second half like the the nazca the movie is a pretty solid adaptation of the first half of the manga it's the second half where it gets bigger and more epic even so you can easily find that uh i can send you all sorts of shit. Uh, oh boy, we'll we'll get to manga in a bit, because I, I have a couple... I can remember a bit of my notes that I had set aside. I was supposed to talk about the Holy Trinity of Ghibli. Uh, God damn it, Ghibli, Ghibli, Ghibli. Uh, I've talked about Suzuki, Miyazaki, and uh, Takahata, and how Takahata, again, was only supposed to be a producer background role until Suzuki proffered the idea, because they were having trouble with funding for Fireflies and Totoro. That it was Toshio Suzuki who came in as producer and said, "Hey, I have an idea. What about a double feature? A double feature of My Neighbor Totoro and Grave of the Fireflies,
3: mm-hmm.
2: back
0: to back." Wow. And <laughs> now
2: what? And, and it's uh, obviously in '88 they had a specific order in which they were released in. But which order do you think is? Um,
0: uh, when they were when they were released, they released Fireflies first in the double bill, and then mm. Totoro, which, fair. Um, I'm going to break a lot of cardinal sins. I'm going to uh, just enact a lot of cardinal sins right here. I am not big on Grave of the Fireflies. Mm. I think it is trite, manipulative, and I can see the seams more often than I can gel with the story. I can see... I can see... The things they're—I can see the strings they're pulling to make me feel things—and I just look down at my chest and see they didn't even dig deep enough to stick that needle in the in the actual tissue. So it's like not not working for me, guys. And everything else from Takahata that I've seen from Ghibli, I I really enjoy. I, I really need to revisit only yesterday again because that movie really has a great emotional core to it. I. Really enjoy My Neighbor the Yamadas as much as it is basically a collection of cl- of Calvin and Hobbes sketches mm. for the most part, with like a, f- a hardy family dynamic thrown in. Yeah, it's uh,
2: unbelievable. Yeah, I, it's, it's, I, it's I didn't a realize real it was been yet when I was watching it. I was I was going into it just to check off another movie from Takahata, and I was just like, whoa, what, what are we doing? But...
0: Which itself is based in another form of manga that I didn't get to, which is called The Four mm. Coma, which is basically what we have like uh, comic strips. Uh, in Japan, they have it limited to four single frames. You get four comic panels to tell your joke, tell your jokes in. That's what they do, and that's what Yamada's is adapted from. It's the that four coma style where it tell a joke in these four panels, that that will land with audiences. Um, but yeah, I've enjoyed No Nomadas. I have not yet caught up with pumpoko That's the one that's on my blind spot. That's from the Ghibli canon. I need to track that down so Go Pan.
2: Yeah, if you want to go yeah, insane, need... watch that one.
0: I am aware of the legend of the Tanuki, the raccoon with the inflatable uh, rock-smashing testicles. Yes, I, I am aware of that mythology. Uh, fun fact, that's what Mario is cosplaying uh, as in Super Mario 3. Uh, but I to catch up with GoPandaGo, which was uh, him, was Takahata and Miyazaki's first collaboration in the 70s. And he did something else, like... Panjorina? I believe it's called... I- I can't remember. It was like a it's technically a Ghibli production, but it was not quite perfected yet. There's a couple things I need to catch up from him, but Kaguya I do believe is a crowning achievement mm-hmm. in his lifelong work. I'm not going to disparage Pompoko and Only Yesterday as lesser works. I'm really going to say he used he used his entire background in animation and the emotion that it elicits from his previous work in Kaguya too and I I think a perfect effect there is no work that could be more potent in its emotional density as it takes out a ballpoint hammer and slams you between the eyes with the tail of the princess kaguya
1: it's interesting kaguya, his most recent
0: kaguya's last film he he passed in away in, in 2018. Oh.
3: Yeah.
0: yeah so actually it was the same year that wind rises came out and um a Ghibli technically shut down back in 2014 when Miyazaki retired. This was the first time Miyazaki retired, mind you. He also returned for a short in the late 2010s, and just last week it was announced that Miyazaki' final film, slated for 2022. like ah yes, grand my favorite news headline, ge- my favorite news headline, Miyazaki's last movie is happening and isn't, again.
2: Isn't that again? Yeah, it's like uh, it's like uh, Steven Zoberg. How um, old is he? It's like uh, 80s, right? I want to say he's
0: 80 right now. Yeah. I know Takahata was 82 when he died.
2: And isn't, isn't the, uh, the movie that he's going to make, How Do I Live? It's been rumored. Let me see.
0: Takahata died at the age of 82. I believe Miyazaki might be 78. Yeah, because he's seven years younger. So, he, Miyazaki was born in 80, in 42. So, yeah, he would be 79, 78 at this time.
1: So he's still a young buck. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's still got it in him. He, he can do Clint it. And, uh, Ridley. Yeah, Ridley's, Ridley. Yeah.
0: You can take over that, that, uh, old man continues to make a movie's, uh, moniker away from him, even though, yeah, Miyazaki has been doing it for longer. Mm-hmm. There's a notorious uh, interview with, uh, Miyazaki. i I believe it was for the Kingdom of Dreams and Madness. Hmm. I forget what the hell that movie is called.
2: No, that's uh, I think that's yeah, I think you got it. It's like uh, the wind rises, I think.
0: Yes. Yeah. Uh there's a there's a cutaway in where it's just a random thing that they caught Miyazaki saying, and it was it's just him saying, Anime was a mistake. It's all nothing but trash. And <laughs> that frequently is brought up in many Anime watcher forums. Whenever it's like, "Oh man, this this episode was terrible," and everyone just break out that little JPEG of "Anime's anime was a mistake." <laughs> it was just well, the master said it himself. You heard him.
2: Yeah, and, and it's yeah, There's that other screen cap of like, "I just need a nap," and like you'll see that as a reaction picture on Twitter. <laughs> um, I-,
0: I love grumpy old uh, Hayao. He's he's a delight, even if God love him. I can easily I can easily tell. You can always tell it's a Miyazaki work because there are going to be one of three things involved. There's going to be flight, there's going to be an anti-war message, and there's going to be environmentalism. Mm. So if you watch a Ghibli movie with either of those themes, it's going to be by Hayao Miyazaki, this, which can tell me exactly what
2: this is. To, uh, to like think about Wind Rises and Kageyoa, um coming out at the same year, the same way Fireflies and Totoro came out in the same year. So it's like two of the most influential animation um at animators at the now like you see their careers like in the early stages and now like this is the culmination it's like like
1: yeah that's cool like like
2: miyazaki is gonna make another movie like air quotes but um this is if if he if he really does end things with the run drives i think it's incredibly satisfying you know like and there was rumors he was gonna stop after mononoke but um, and yeah, that would have Martin been get
0: like a lot out of them.
2: Yeah. yeah. Just for American
1: context, I've, I've been wondering about this, the wind rises and Kaguya. That was, uh, the yearbook for American context. That was the year before, uh, inside out, right? Inside out was 2015. The,
0: yes. Wind rises did get a limited release in the United States, the very ass end of 2013. But cause I saw that alone in the theater. Oh when God. it when it came out, uh, meanwhile, oh. Kaguyu came out the year afterwards. Managed to get licensed and adapted, whatever, over here. Finally, in like I said, it came to the normy theaters in the yeah. spring of 2015.
2: Release dates are weird, but,
0: but yeah, the Wind came here in 2014. I remember that much because I saw it in the theater. I believe I saw the Japanese dub, which funnily enough has Hideki Ano, the creator of Evangelion, voicing the lead character. That's and then it. you watch the English dub, which has John Krasinski, Martin Short, and this fucking born, uh, Werner Herzog uh, yeah. in the dub.
2: <laughs> I think Emily Blunt, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Emily Blunt is the love interest. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, yeah, John. And, and I would ask
2: you how the theater was, like what the reactions were, but um, I just I just learned that this movie didn't make much money.
0: No, um, or at least over it here. Was, it and, was, It was a very reverent experience, all the less. It wasn't a terribly packed house, because I went at, like, a matinee. I went to, like, an 11.30 screening. uh, Because I'm lazy and don't like interacting with people that much. So... But I I recall it being a very reverent experience. Being that it was, at that point, the last Miyazaki joint. uh, To coin a phrase.
2: Uh, Oh, was uh, that with Wind Rises or Kaguya? Uh,
0: uh, Wind Rises. Because Hayao Miyazaki was not really involved in Kaguya. Besides, like... Uh, like a uh, auxiliary a produ- production role. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was like an auxiliary production role in mm-hmm. Kaguya. Meanwhile, Wind Rises was entirely his project, his baby mm-hmm. that he was babying. Which is what the Kingdom of Dreams of Madness is about. It's about the simultaneous production of those two movies at that studio, driving everyone off the wall. Yeah, because the there wasn't really. Like a- to mention,
2: Miyazaki is such a perfectionist. Like every frame yes. has to be. Yeah. Takahata was correctly. a bit
0: more restrained in his approach to the filmmaking as approach to uh, Hayao Miyazaki will literally go to each cubicle and, and look, flip through each, each layout and is like, no, 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 get that back in there. Try that again. He, a delightful old man, but man, what must be a hell of a bitch to work for? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but. it's For the arts... It is for the art. It's fun to make some
0: art today. Um, but yeah, I've. I'm glad I was able to bring this movie to you guys, and it's. Again, I have, I constantly joke in our friend group about how I am. It's like me and Jamie are the only two who are any anything relatively aware of the anime scene in terms of what's like hot and coming out and whatever. And that's there was not that a bad thing. movie
2: actor that. That one time when you guys were just firing We went down the rabbit animation. hole of, like, yeah. the Violet Evergarden yeah, actresses and
0: shit. But, that yeah, was the there's... Tennis. That was, like,
2: a good match of tennis or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it,
0: it, 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 was, it was, like, that that video of the Mario tennis game where they're immediately up against the net, like, batting back at each other. You guys <laughs>
2: reminded me of,
1: like, Federer and Nadal, just, like, yeah. and back and forth.
0: Yeah, um, but... I, I can't explain why I have such a deep affection for Japanese animation I, I can't say honestly it's more emotional than Western animation mm. because I've seen plenty of Western works that can match it pretty closely beat for beat in various contexts it's just I don't know there's such a different flavor that I don't think America is the way really it's get
2: treated it's a uh, it's consensus it's just the reputation
0: yeah like Consistently, I try and recommend anime to my friends and close family and coworkers, and most of the time I'm shot down once recently I was at work and someone responded to a recommendation I made about about a movie I just seen and and this coworker just caught up, oh, but he watches anime, so take that into mm. account I'm like <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs>
1: So and this is someone who I thought
0: respected me it's like what the hell does that serve like, why are you shooting down this opinion I'm giving right here because I watch animation like it's not that deep hell there, I have had more emotional guttural reactions to Japanese animation this year than I have to most other films hell Japanese works in general Labyrinth of Cinema is pretty near my top of the year so far and mm-hmm. that, that's a multimedia just collage of, of insanity uh, and and ins- inspiration but yeah like
1: here's one that I I I'm looking at it on my blu-ray shelf right now it just popped into my head as like maybe the only American or western animated movie uh, that pops to mind of like recent ilk where the animation itself uh like wow me in this in the same way that like a ghibli would um spider-man into the spider-verse
0: yep and that in itself takes a lot of sakuga into account like there were yeah. several moments where i'm like shit these things are popping off the screen and like scraping the, the pavement
2: gosh i was really not prepared for that one uh even even in 2018 when we all recognized it was a true masterwork, and we were kind of like even then underrating it. But the fact that it was um, coming from
0: Sony as their follow up to the Emoji movie was like, what the
2: hell? So this <laughs> is what they were—they were skimming
0: all that money for. They were saving it up for the for the pop of this
1: thing. Well, they um, showed the, the first trailer for it. Yeah, like we got a, year a trailer over here in advance, so I saw yeah. like, oh, this is. This arm style is freaking cool. Yeah, they showed off yeah, that that, that climactic
0: exciting. that climactic scene in the trailer that yeah. that what's up, danger upside down city shot. It's like, yeah.
2: fuck, that was great. And, and it's like even with the trailer yeah. looking so good, I was like, oh well, it's just one of those things that they like put in theaters, but I, like like fans of superheroes and like those characters will go see it. Like, I don't know how much noise it'll actually make, but then. Mm-hmm different. I can't believe it was a
1: phenomenon. Yeah, oh, was Spider Verse was the
0: movie I got the most shit for recommending at the movie theater I worked at. Really? That's you didn't crazy. tell me I was going to see a cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Now, if only there was a movie where all three of those Spider-Man characters actors could appear. Nah, that probably won't happen. Nah.
0: <laughs> I wish. Yeah, but. It's it's important that I take into account, also, I mentioned earlier how hyper-capitalist Japan is since uh, the post-World War II. Mm-hmm. Uh, have either of you guys heard of uh, a web series called Down the Rabbit Hole?
2: It's um, a web series, not a website.
0: It's a YouTube series uh, by a guy named Frederick Knudsen. Uh, he actually did a two-part video on the history of anime that took into account exactly what the post-war environment was that cultivated it. It's like two 40-minute videos just... Like an entire 101 course on the history of anime of Japanese animation in just one, just two videos. It's really informative. It talks about like how Disney was the key, was the big key influence for it, but also the fact that since Japan was under the thumb of the United States, they took a lot of our hyper capitalist tendencies to heart. Sometimes even worse than we do, because in Japan it is noted that working for an animation studio or for a manga production house you are expected to basically dedicate your entire life to that you will have very little free time you are you spend your entire days drawing redrawing and drawing it again in order to make it just work work as well as it can you have to really
2: love it yeah you have to love it
0: yeah but but the burnout culture is so real over
2: there and so just like podcasting. Just like podcasting, yeah. Yes. yes we're actually we going to do this all over again once we're out. We oh, well, right the recording and... failed. Time to gotta get it it out again. again. Yeah. Um, you didn't get the right but... cadence. I told you to.
0: Yeah. But the burnout culture is so real Speak over up. there. Speak
2: up.
1: <laughs> do they have, like, a, uh, a standard, like, 40-hour work week? Unfortunately...
0: Most of the time, it honestly depends on the place you work for, because there are several studios that are just like video game studios, subject to crunch, mm-hmm. and so they will
2: the enforce that
0: on, to, to the best of their ability, with the exception of one studio, and that one studio is a, one of the other uh, options I proffered for this particular cast, a studio called Kyoto Animation. Who is probably best known for producing *A Silent Voice* and uh, most recently *Violet Evergarden*, as well as like classics like *Caion*, *Haruhi's*, *The Disappearance of Haruhi Suzumiya*. And they were one of known across the the country as one of the legitimately best places to work. You got you basically got like in house therapy, you got time off, you were treated like a person. You weren't treated as just a cog in the machine. You were welcomed. We always point out the idea of like, this isn't a job, it's a family. And we scoff at that because we're in America and that term has been so misused over here. Mm-hmm. But apparently at Kyoto Animation, as far as I understand, it was the standard. They it's were been used actively... to like,
2: seduce you to just take Yeah, it, it wasn't a
0: seduction term. It was an actual, no, this is legit. We're actually going to listen to you and make sure you're healthy while you're working here. We're not going to push you too hard. If we need to push back this, the production date, Damn, damn the torpedoes, we'll do it, because we want you to just maintain a certain quality, at, at however possible. And that makes it all the more heartbreaking that on, that on July 18th, 2018, a man who accused that place of plagiarism walked in there with, with 400 liters of gasoline and lit it on fire and killed 30 people. Whoa. Wow. Jeez. It is still running, but another one of the movies that is on my... that is, I'm going to be honest, is cemented in the top section of my list. Violet Evergarden, the movie. I am keeping it there in memoriam because there are several people in the credit list of that film who will never work again. Yeah, That was the last That's thing funny. they worked on. And... That hits harder, considering it is one of the best weaponized melodramas I've ever seen in my life, and I, I say that legitimately. It is a weaponized melodrama. It it'll it'll take a serrated saw blade to your heartstrings. That movie, but and I mentioned earlier, the burnout culture is so real. That this past year, we lost. You asked about manga. You should look into. I believe it's still currently the number one manga. Uh, I use uh, uh, basically Letterboxd for anime is myanimalist.net and you can make a, a anime used for my various challenges. This year I participated in their, in their anime challenge and their manga challenge. I am almost done with the manga challenge. I just have one more title to do. But let me see. Top manga. I want to make sure I'm getting this right the number one rated manga of all time is a dark fantasy series called berserk which is often picked up as one of the best series ever written not just because it is it was the entire work of one man kintaro miura and he had been working on it since 1989 and this past june he passed away from a heart attack due to overwork okay. and this is the epic tale of deceit treachery Love humanity, and everyone in the community always looked at this at this massive work he had taken on. Was like this work is too big for one man, and a lot of us was like, "He's never going to finish it." And unfortunately, that turned out to be all too true. It it has concluded its initial professional run at 100. And I, let me see here. Again, I, I want to make sure I get details right. I don't want to. Uh, It is 41 volumes, uh, 41 books you can read, and 380 chapters. The 380th has only recently been published. And at this point, the studio behind the publication house is debating whether or not they're going to continue because the story is not finished. It is merely on hold at the moment. But the fact is, this is the last, this is the actual final, like PC had finished, he had several like outlines and drafts lying around, but nothing that could be competently claimed as something that you could publish reasonably without lots of like, um, like the reconstructions we see of various lost films. We would have an incomplete text of what this man wanted to produce for the world, mm-hmm. and this man influenced everything. Uh, Netflix has actually licensed a live action adaptation, a believe a, a, a CGI adaptation. Recently. At least it's gonna be a short. They're gonna like again, they're gonna do a one-shot. They're gonna see if anyone will have any interest in this, but it's it's berserk. It's a story that has been sticking around since the late 80s. And I know we're off in the weeds now, but it is. If you want to start somewhere for manga, I would recommend either something lights, something something pretty is a good place to start. Like I said, it's a very contained story. It's not One Piece, which is still running since 1997 and just dropped its 1,001st episode this past week. So, yeah, I'd recommend starting with Nausicaa or Berserk, seeing as it is technically contained now. Uh, Berserk also, this past decade, had three movies adapting the first arc into one uh, CG-assisted animation. And it's pretty you good. This
2: past, you say this past decade. I'm listening. Oh, you have my intention Yeah,
0: <laughs> I, I might be able to get you on Berserk. I'll see if I can get you on the manga first. Uh, because the now manga, say, I believe, is such
2: a... Is, you say Berserk is the, is the highest rated anime in, in that website?
0: The uh, highest rated manga. It is the mm-hmm. number one manga. Just now the story I, itself. I
2: checked back to see if it was still um, the same Cowboy Bebop was the uh, highest-rated anime or thing on Letterboxd for a long time. Uh, and now uh, I think Letterboxd. it's taken off, and it's Parasite again. But um, i was just yeah. going to ask if you have any feelings of anime on Letterboxd.
0: Uh, I've actually had to debate that just this year myself, because because I took part in an anime challenge, I wanted to be able to log that. And while on my anime list, you do have the opportunity to review and like post reviews and shit. It's not the same dynamic as Letterboxd. It's very much a forum as compo- as compared to like the diary approach that Letterboxd takes. You can't yeah. you can't posit which dates you actually watch it unless you actually in the text dictate, "Oh, I watched this from this date to this date." Uh, uh, my notes just very takes a very forum approach to it. But just this year, I actually did review an anime I did watch series because Luckily, with anime, there are a lot of compilation movies they have made out of things, and those technically do count for letterboxed. So, I uh, just this year I watched a political, a political war thriller anime called Flag, which is about a UN photographer dispatched like a, a, a war-torn country to uh, follow the rescue operation of like a national flag that's been that has been torn asunder and taken by terrorists, and she's following the trail. With this military, she's an embedded journalist in this military faction, searching for this flag, and it is one of the most effective. I would, I could, I'm actually going to be hyperbolic. I would compare it to *Grave of the Fireflies*, but I think it's successful in its mm-hmm. manipulation because I, because it has thirteen episode thirteen half-hour episodes to get you invested in all these characters, rather than just a single eighty minutes you have with *Grave of the Fireflies*, which I think is a folly. I think you need longer to invest in these characters properly. And that's what Flag did for me. So I hunted down on Letterboxd, and they did have the movie edition. While I did not watch the movie edition, I can still say I did watch it. And I'm glad there, are, there is a way I can log anime on Letterboxd. I'm, I think Letterbox is for everybody. Like, animation is for everybody. Just because it's not technically a movie doesn't mean it can't be talked about. Which, since you're so interested in the Cahiers to Cinema List, Jack, let me tell you about a little thing called Twin Peaks, The Return. <laughs> Pin that oh on the no! Schedule man, later. Again,
2: you've ambushed. You've got you've gotten us in this deep.
0: Hey, you know. you opened that this morning. I just I just I just leapt in with my with my sniper scope, like aha, perfect. <laughs> he stuck his head <laughs> out. This little brer rabbit stuck his head out of the hole. Perfect. Uh, but
2: listen, yeah, I I, my my head starts to like hurt when I think about doing Twin Peaks because like I. Obviously, I love it. It's fantastic. It's one of the You might as I, well break it Dementia up into 18 parts and have a different turn for me. I just, you know, we've done OJ Made America, and there's a hot mm-hmm. debate. And no matter what Ezra Edelman will say, there's a hot debate uh, if that's a TV show or a movie. And I think this similar thing applies here. That, to me, it's a third season of a TV show. But that's where I stay. I may have said it on, on the show before, but it's like that's... Where I stand, I can be persuaded. I'm not that's like, where I stand as well. Locked so. in. I'm not that's locked the in, official
1: like... podcast position,
2: <laughs> yes. But listen, I'm that it's like, can we do like a season of The Good Wife, you know?
0: <laughs> I mean, I would love to get you yeah, on definitely. Violet Evergarden if I could, if I could yes. just hack into the calories to Cinema and put Violet Evergarden, the series, in that list because, mm. yeah. again, there's so much that I love to share with people. I don't. There is so much in media that's gatekeeping, be it comic books or especially anime. There have been so many in the circles I've drifted in that are like, "Well, if you only watch if you only watch anime and you've only seen Dragon Ball Z and and One Piece, you know, you're not a real anime fan." And that attitude is fucking bullshit. Mm-hmm. I, I don't believe in saying, "Well, you don't actually understand anime if you've only seen Pokemon, you child." That is not inviting. Because what is not... good does
2: that do to you if you just condescend?
0: No. No, I actually more think of, even with the release of incoming cursed movie that the podcast will never has stated they will never talk about, Joker. Joker.
1: <laughs> Great film.
0: Best case <laughs> scenario, Joker inspires the watchers of that film to seek out the movies that inspired it. And they will therefore expand their horizons and see that there is more to the world than just comic book characters and see and to, something. And to be clear, like, I, I don't
2: think um, we will be like, no, we can't do that. If someone ever came to us with it, it's more like going to be a bummer once we do. Cause you know, or you can win. just turn
0: it into a Patriot's day and just talk about the movies that inspired it. Let's talk about the, the king of comedy for the next <laughs> half what? hours.
2: I like that. I like that. Yeah. You as did it with, was, with Patriot's I, day. As someone who's taking that, that route right now. Um, <laughs> great idea. Oh.
0: Yeah, spend, spend like five minutes each talking about Joker and then spend the time, let's talk about like the like Taxi Driver. That's a, that's a pretty good movie. The, Suddenly
1: Jack won't invite me to next podcast because I said that I like Joker. So like, you're out.
0: <laughs> oh no, he's, a, he's just a fan of the Miami Heat. Okay, that's why next, he won't invite he's you back on. on. The
2: list, so...
1: But yeah,
0: I, I, I don't yeah. believe in gatekeeping. Even with movies I despise or series I despise, I feel any gateway is a good gateway provided it's it's reasonably healthy. I won't exactly say, oh, you should take out this hentai I watched the other day as your first anime piece. I, I'm i not going to be that guy. Also, like it can go in the
2: good? opposite direction when someone's like, oh, you don't like Grave of the Fireflies? It's one of the most sentient works. Like, You're not a real anime fan if it doesn't affect you emotionally. And, and if you're not thing, sleeping by the end.
0: My approach is to say, it is not my kappa. I'm glad. it. It's like my my approach to seeing, hearing people haven't seen something. Like when people tell me, oh, I actually love Grivetta, I'm glad you enjoy it. I'm glad you enjoy it. I will not take a shit in your in your party parade. That's not my ideal in life. It's kind of like when someone says, what? you haven't you haven't seen big trouble in Little China and I'm over here like, I am happy you get to experience it for the first time. Because you are in for a treat. Yeah, that is my approach to recommending and hearing
2: people haven't seen shit. I like. I know that was an example, but I was. I used to be in that boat that I just saw it uh, for the first time a month ago. I think. Yeah, I've never seen it.
0: It's a really good film. Uh, It's it's really good. You've said it's your
2: favorite from JC.
0: It is. Yeah, there was a yeah. difference between my favorite and what I think is his best. There, uh, is, does, everyone, does anyone else have that I'm, delineation where they have a difference I mean, between I think, the, I their, think their favorite and their I mean, I That Never the really means
2: for any filmmaker in, in my in my yeah. it,
0: Before it was it was only like about ten years ago when I finally made that delineation myself because I mm-hmm. had those two, those were not mutually exclusive in my mind.
2: And some people have not made that realization. <laughs>
0: no. No. <laughs> Those who fail to realize what Gold Derby is often make that uh, distinction.
2: <laughs> it's like, well, not, well, I think Brooklyn should win Best
0: Picture. Like, it, it's not. It, there's no way. Lady in gonna... the
1: Water is Shyamalan's best film. It's like, whoa. <laughs> like, look, it's I would love, brace.
0: I would love to see Denny Villeneuve's Dunk win Best Picture, but I'm not going to hold my hopes out that it will, uh, because Hollywood has a horrific horrific history with genre and sci-fi and anything that's not a straightforward period piece Mm -hmm.
1: mad max fury road like was that film that almost blurred the lines and i think was close to winning yeah the only
0: one that's broken the, the trend was shape of water and i and i think that was like a fluke at this yeah. point, it's the only one that actually went it's to It's because
1: distance. of like what the movie was about. It was like such a love letter to cinema.
0: And
2: it had to be a period piece. To it had to be a period piece. It had to be
0: elegant. And it couldn't be too trashy. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. I I don't want to be exclusive. As much as some of my knowledge precludes me to be exclusive. Because I've seen so much. I prefer to be that guy who's like, No, I want you to experience this for the first time, raw. I would gladly send you... You, Jack, and you, Tyler, my personal copy of Berserk, the original series, because I think that story is so fucking well told in, in terms of the first anime series. There there are three separate anime series for Berserk. The, the first is the best. The second, the second and third use CG animation, and it does not look good. But uh, yeah, I, I want to share things with people. I want to... Hell, when me and Mike watched A uh, Labyrinth of Cinema, we actually had a chaser where I showed him the first episode of Violet Evergarden, and you know what? He liked it so much, we watched three more episodes that night, because I pointed out how atypical a melodrama it was. It was playing within the broad, like, standard of melodrama, but it's playing it from a distinctly Eastern perspective, therefore it doesn't have the standard tropes that we're used to. It has similar tropes, but it's but it's playing with a slightly different brand of Legos, so hmm. to speak. It it's put together a little differently, which is why I I love this stuff so much, and why Violet Evergarden is sticking in my top three along with that In Memoriam uh, asterisk.
2: So okay, one more question for you, and then we'll hop over to favorite scene. Uh, what do you think? And you know, it's it's kind of a heavy one. What do you think is the future um, that holds for Ghibli, a post Irid in the in the witch? <laughs> landscape that you think is like, oh. okay, I think this is the direction you think they'll go in and maybe a direction you want them to go in?
0: That's kind of a loaded question because between Wind Rises and Ehrig and the Witch, we had the various spinoffs that broke off because we had several Ghibli staff go over and form, what was it, Studio Ponock, who made a Mary and the Witch's Flower. And that one also had a very Ghibli-esque aesthetic. I saw that in the theater. like, ooh, the Ghibli staff made their own studio. Good to know. And the movie's Fine. It's not great. It, it it has some of like the the technical magic of Ghibli, but it doesn't quite have the heart right. Mm-hmm. And also, I will be honest. I have not seen *Iruka and the Witch* because I have burn, been burned so many times by the lesser Miyazaki. I saw *Tales from Earthsea* and various other things. Like, oh, oh no, this this man can't direct. This man yeah, couldn't I, direct I if haven't... you pointed a gun at his father.
2: I haven't seen uh, any of Goro Miyazaki's movies, and that's exactly why I've intentionally avoided those. Just, just like, yeah.
1: Next on the podcast.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: Tales from Earthsea is a 2000s week, movie, sir. So... It won't be on the podcast.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: ebrig and the Witch, I haven't seen most because I saw the previews and I was like, this animation isn't quite up to standards, guys, because <laughs> I looked at it like...
2: Did we double-check that one? <laughs>
0: uh, I even, I even... Because I even looked at certain, I even like went through that thing frame by frame. I was like, "There was some severe artifacting going on here, guys. You didn't finish this." Like mm-hmm. again, I'm going to be that art- animation snob who can. I've seen enough movies that are animated to know what is finished and what is basically second draft mm-hmm. pol- is polished second draft, or polished first draft at times and. I may one day watch and the Witch. I'm unsure entirely of the future, although we did, like I said, we did have the announcement that the final Hayao Miyazaki movie is on the horizon! It's like, yay! (laughs) Again! Take a shot, everybody!
1: This is the Jay-Z
2: of Japanese (laughs) animation. I'm back, y'all! But I mean, I, 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 I honestly, like, kind of, you know, that was... How did you think about he's, it? Jay Z. He's, he's like Mianzaki. encore, do you want more? I mean <laughs> got ninety-nine problems and uh you know And the biggest trash.
1: Like,
2: you kind of do whatever. I want a.
0: I want a screen grab of Jay-Z saying, Man, hip hop's trash. It's all shit. <laughs>
2: like their their works are so iconic, and both Miyazaki and Jay Z, like they
0: touchstones in their respective Yeah, meetings. touchstones
2: in their respect yes, yes but then you're you you kind of like, what have they done, like, now?
0: <laughs> the, I'm also like, glad you guys here. haven't made the... You guys haven't made the yeah. <laughs> I'm also incredibly proud that you guys haven't made the amateur mistake of calling animation a genre, because mm-hmm. Letterboxd has that problem, right? It's like, genre, animation, like, guys, because Dwayne Johnson uh, did that when he presented the Animated Award back in, like, what,
2: 2015,
0: 16? He called it mm-hmm. the genre of animation, like,
2: <laughs> so funny, yeah. yeah can, Canadian
0: man blinking eyes gift. Excuse
2: me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like um, th- I wouldn't be surprised if that presentation was in 2016, since he had Moana out that year.
0: Okay, yeah, probably. I yeah. I, I can't. The man is so everywhere that what I can't. say say it, rise.
2: It's like a different medium, then, or it is
0: a medium. I yeah. I prefer to call it. It's like film is a medium and animation. And I've heard is
2: about uh, this debate because Brad Bird. Has always been a big proponent of calling of of quitting like the animation uh the animation as a genre label
3: mm.
2: yeah, yeah because like,
1: uh all animated movies like they have their genre like again like again with the,
0: with the hollywood thing about calling it it's it's for children it's a genre animation genre that's a children's genre it's like no it's a medium Watch Fantasia and tell me that thing is only meant for children. Like Fantasia is possibly one of the gold standards for what animation can do. It can take Mm -hmm. the most abstract of ideas and animate it and give it life. It can take a single line and inject it with like resonance and emotion.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Should we, yeah, let's end the favorite scene. Uh, Oh, yeah. um, Oh my God. Yeah, we do need to, but I forgot um, when you were talking about animation, not just being for little kids, that when when I was a kid, two of my favorite movies, not just animated movies, but just movies, um, The Incredibles and Fantastic Mr. Fox. And I can throw those on right now and still, like, have a ball and, like, recite it word for – or maybe not – I'm bad at reciting things word for word. But just I, I understand, like, the specific beats in which things happen and, like, those, those two mean – like, the world to me.
1: I'm sorry, which were those two again?
2: Fantastic Mr. Fox and The Incredibles.
1: Okay, yeah. I still need to see Fantastic Mr. Fox, one of my Wes Anderson
2: blind spots.
1: Oh, yeah, it rules.
0: It was in the Criterion Collection, I will say that.
2: Yeah, oh, that cool. and I've seen the other one, Fantastic Planet.
0: Uh Have you seen the third one, Watership Down? Yes, I have. Aha, there, yeah. there you are. You've have, you have completed the Holy Trinity, your badge is in the mail.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: I've Which seen none else? of them I get a badge for that. Yeah.
2: They should send you one of those like uh um like the um yeah, like the passes that everybody got when they had when they signed up. Um for the criterion oh, yeah. channel. Yeah, their criterion channel, yeah. Um
0: I'm also prepping my list for the next year's Criterion Challenge. So hmm. yeah, I can send you guys that afterwards. But yeah, favorite scene. Yeah. Um Yeah, what's yours? Uh, the escaping the banquet sequence, the the the, the first dynamic uh, style stylistic shift. It it is so goddamn effective, and mm. it
2: running in the movie is done pretty impeccably. Yeah,
0: yeah just movement in general is just god tier levels of accomplished. But the way that desperation is conveyed. And it is electr—it is electrifying the way it is so digestible and perfectly realized in that sequence. I-, I love it so much. its I know I'm stealing one of the highlights of the movie from you guys. Like, no, this is mine. This is my <laughs> child. It's mine now. You can't touch it. But it it, it, it was the thing. Whenever I hear of Princess Kaguya, that's the image I think of is just that blur of, of brushstrokes re- resembling... Her and her in her pink kimono just rushing out into that unknowable just fog of the world. That's some some of the best animation since Fantasia 2000, which is my current gold standard for Western animation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Platinum standard, actually.
1: Player. I saw that movie in IMAX when it came yeah, out. Yeah,
0: that that Firebird sequence. It's like, oh, man.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Ty, do you, have,
2: do you have one or...? Favorite scene? Um, hmm. What's the apex of uh, Kaguya? (laughs) Uh,
1: I mean, I think the two bookends are really good. Like the opening scene, um, the uh, bamboo cutter out, and when he first comes upon her, like, is really well done. And brings brings her back to to his wife, and she's like, young rap up. Uh, and then you
0: get some of that genuine anime titty in there?
1: Yeah, yeah, you do.
0: <laughs> I have to be trash for a minute. Yes, we do get some titty in this Ghibli movie, so those of you perverts out there, let uh, you yeah, know. I didn't yeah. think
1: of it like that. But...
0: Someone's fetish is in this movie. Good
2: God. Takahata is the, the trash-feeding trash
0: fetish. Yeah. Takahata is
1: a top-heavy guy. I see how it is. Uh, oh, all right, I'm changing my scene. Yeah, I'm not going to go with that anymore. <laughs> <laughs>
2: you know what? I didn't want to talk about this movie.
1: But no, I, I do think that's uh, it's a really nice opening. Um, like, very warm and inviting. It and feels kind of Disney a little bit. It does, yeah. I would say it reminds
0: me yeah. a bit of like the opening of Beauty and the Beast, where it's just that floating shot mm. through the woods, eventually catching the castle in the background. That's sort of like ambiance it, it, it delivers.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Or the distinctly uh, of Eastern flavor, like we talked about. Yeah, a little bit yeah. of that. Uh, yeah, I think what mine would be uh, when when she's having that introduction ceremony, uh, and, and when she's being introduced. Um, to everyone as a princess and she dreams of that woodsman uh i think it's beau bridges that voices that guy um yeah i believe Beau bridges
0: voice is one of the suitors i think uh, um i'm sorry to shit at the to poke a hole in all you guys like actually no I, no
1: yeah, yeah well, we'll actually right. you're wrong about that sir you see um <laughs> bo bridges yeah. is prince guru Krum- mochi
0: yeah he's one yeah, he's one of the suitors again. Uh, um, maybe it's the woodcutter. Oh, yeah, the woodcutter. S- tomorrow? I think so. Her her childhood friend.
2: Um, yeah, it's it's whoever's. Oh no! Her. Wait, when she goes
0: to their homes and that, and it's after the escape when she's like, "Where is everybody?"
2: Yeah, uh, it's during the dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay, I, and I like the the shift in the imagery of of everyone fondling over her, and she's so uncomfortable, and she's like. Hi, I mean, like we, you know, it's so relatable when you're like, when when you're in a party and like you just want everyone to leave, and you're just like uh, hanging out in your own bed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And now she's just brought to this dream space, uh, and she can't bear to see anybody else. And like now, like her wish is granted, but like at what cost? And like you know, it's it's just like. There's a lot more dream-like imagery than I was expecting here, and that's where it's like my I got my first signal of like wow okay we're playing we're playing with reality. Um,
0: yeah, which was actually one stuff. of uh, Takahata's goals was he wanted to avoid the potential uncanny valley of realistic hoeing animation by in, instead intending to relay the reality through like almost a nostalgia like reflex of this is the idea of the image we want to present but we don't want to hoe too close to reality that be, that it skews into that uncanny section of that of the uncanny valley which is is a bold choice and I think it pays off immensely in the yeah. in the stylistic choices he made
2: absolutely um, this was lovely to have brought to us uh, thank you for for doing so a major uh, upgrade in our personal catalog of of animated picks uh considering we've only done emoji movie before this you're well aware uh it was i mean we didn't have someone you know choose it it was only when we were doing the razzies uh and that was that was that was really uh
0: similar quality
2: not you know there is
0: a worst animation section in uh, the Razzie awards oh yeah (laughs) should we pursue that for for a new awards winner series (laughs) i don't know do you want to be sad again for a while (laughs) I mean, I mean you, still the, you still dodged the Kirk Cameron holistic yeah. bullet, so... Uh.
2: I mean, we've discussed, like, the possibility of doing Best Animation um, Oscar winners, but that's just Disney. But it, it would be mostly the Pixar, <laughs> that's just, that's just Pixar yeah.
0: variety show.
2: You have to
1: do Nomo and Juliet. <laughs> Heck yeah. If
0: you want to do a crossover <laughs> with, like, Chasing Statham, yeah. Or...
2: Um, Brad, would you like to promote yourself once again, just to...
0: Yeah. Once again, I am. Uh, I run the podcast blog Brecho Culture. I just recently finished up uh, the Hooptober tapes, detailing my Hooptober journey over five uh, reasonably consolidated episodes. Uh,
2: only, two the two it was, it only two of them exceeded two hours in length. Only
0: two of them exceeded two hours in length, and those are the ones where I had a, a friend to talk with. On, uh, I talked about all the horror shit, uh, all the horror. Shit and the good shit that I watched over that period. Uh, this will be, of course, cross-posted on there as I I do enjoy sharing this with others, uh, and I will be gladly uh, returning here, hopefully, to either be the be the anime the anime dealer as I am supposedly destined to be among my friend group, or perhaps just whatever comes to our minds. I yeah. I like sharing stuff with people. That's the only. It's the only way I rewatch things anymore is by we sharing.
2: Would, we would welcome you with open arms for Alita.
0: Yeah, it's, it's perfectly on the table. And I, <laughs> that way I can talk about the manga, which I just finished reading. And holy shit. <laughs> there are things to talk about regarding that. I can't adaptation. get over
2: uh, Jim and Bob's Alita.
1: <laughs> Jim and Bob. Jim and Bob. We'll Rosa go. Salazar are going to be a star, bro. <laughs> the Alita army behind us and our podcast <laughs> makes like national news. Yeah. Look,
0: man, I want a motor bowl series. God damn it.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That'll, that'll be the day. Um, I can be found on Twitter, uh, Jack a Draper. My writing on film is found on my own personal medium and, uh, the simple cinephile. I believe this movie is on HBO max. We've talked about that. Yeah. Um, it's nowhere else. I mean, illegal means, but that's like... In the U.S. In U.S.,
1: yes. You
0: can buy the Blu-ray from uh, G-Kids via Shout Factory. I know that much.
2: Yeah, and I love how the Blu-rays for Ghibli is, um... Uh, it all, like, looks similar, so it, like, looks nice on a shelf. Yeah, They have a lot of Steelbook There's releases covers, with yeah, those, and they have a couple of yeah,
0: collector's like editions. None for, not one for Kavya, but they have one for Spirited Away, Totoro, and Mononoke so far.
2: Hmm. Yeah, um... Next week we are going to uh, 2012 New York City with uh, Uncut Gems. It's a big one, and uh, Carrie Whitmore will be here for for that one. Yeah.
1: I'm gonna play that's some bets. Yeah. Shit, I thought it's you guys already talked one. about
0: that one.
2: Yeah. <laughs> we have done We did a good time, but um, I think
1: it's a good time to do this one uh, as mm-hmm. that uh, Criterion just came out. Yeah.
2: this that's, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Good time, 4K.
0: someday the Criterion Collection will acknowledge that animation is a thing outside of Wes Anderson. <laughs> again, I'm counting the days till they put Isle of Dogs on Criterion. Like it has to happen. It has to happen. Of course.
1: Yeah. Um, again, I am Tyler Harford, new interim co-host. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Letterbox at T Money Talks. Uh, shall I do the dance here?
2: Yeah, let's dance.
1: Let's all right, baby. Thank you all so much for listening. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at ETTpod. You can follow us on Instagram at Exiting2010s. You can email us at ExitingThrough2010s at gmail.com. And we will catch you next time on Exiting Through the 2010.